you've been chasing your monsters and they've been driving you bonkers just blinding with rocket launchers of light to blow what they conscious if you really want to juxtapose and take a darker color with the blush of rose and then you put it in your ink and watch it go your mind is always open when your eyes are closed because you're blind to color and you're blind to greed blind to all the things that you don't need and you find a mind and then you plant a seed then you nourish it a little You're let building it It is September of 2020, the dumpster fire that is uh, 2020, and we're back here in Donnie's garage, uh, putting out another Whiskey Throttle show. I'm your host, David Pingree. With me, as always, Grant Langston. We got Donnie Bills working the switches, and uh, it's been a little bit. We've been having trouble tracking Chad Reed down, but we've got him back today for our third installment of the Chad Reed series here on the Whiskey Throttle show. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first two, go back and start all over. I think this is going to wind up being probably nine hours. <laughs> I think something uh, in, that, in that nature, yeah. Which sounds ridiculous, but it's been really, really good stuff. It's shocking how good his memory is. Yeah. Uh, he's he's able to recall details that you just wouldn't think he'd be able to. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So looking forward to wrapping that up with him today, kind of rounding out his career from really the start of uh, the 2-2 Motorsports team on. That's kind of yeah. where we left off. So we'll pick up from there and get the rest of his story. So looking forward to that. Um, want to thank Yamaha for supporting this show uh, as our title sponsor. Uh, we can't we can't thank them enough. It's it's uh, it's not free to come and do these things and put them on and we have expenses that we have to cover. So we sure appreciate Yamaha being on board and we've got some cool stuff. By the time our next show drops, uh, there is a brand new Yamaha Superjet coming out. If you're into personal watercraft stand-ups in particular, which which I've always loved, uh, and the Superjet's been uh, always a very s stable, solid platform um, from the square nose to the, to the newer round nose that was really awesome to now this new model. And there's only two of them in the country. We're going to get a test ride on one of those next week. And so uh, we'll have a little video to share with you. We'll be posting that on our social as well, but really excited about that. Hey, I got uh, a square nose that I bought brand new in 1990 and I still have it. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I had two that were 20 some years old and yeah, around like clocks. So yeah. uh, we always talk about Yamaha kind of leading the industry in terms of reliability and performance and it's not BS. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I have a buddy that rides a YZ450. I forgot what yours is, 08. And he, he is, he was a professional mechanic. He's never rebuilt the motor, has 350 hours on that bike. That's wild. Yeah. And he still rides it. Now he's not pinning the thing everywhere, but he still rides a yeah. lot and yeah. the bike is still going. Well, it definitely speaks uh, to the quality of, of their work. But this new Yamaha Superjet is a four-stroke, which is sort of been, for stand-ups anyway, sort of a new uh, evolution in that. And so we'll we'll share that more with you. But really excited to give that a try next week. Also, big thank you to PowerDot, 20% off using that code. And I know with, with all the COVID crap going on, it, you can't really get into physical therapists. It, you can't get massages. There's a lot of the uh, sort of personal body work stuff you can't go do. And the PowerDot is such a great fill-in for that. You can order online. You don't have to touch anybody if you don't want to. It shows up at your house. And you can do all those things. Massage, rehab, uh, injury prevention. What an amazing tool. So Walmart, check those guys cool out. Down. All of it. And you get 20% off using our code, Whiskey Throttle at checkout. No capitals, no spaces. So thank you to PowerDot.com. Go over, check those guys out. Just have a look at that stuff. Method Race Wheels, bringing you our front-end chatter. And you can get 20% off using our code there as well on a set of wheels, which adds up to big savings. Troy Lee Designs, bringing you our timeout, 
which we may not get to if we've got Reedy on a roll, we might just run through it. Uh, but Troy Lee Design's a big part of this show also, and um, they've got new casual wear out, including this hat. They also have all their 2021 stuff dropping October 10th. So not too long. If you're looking for new gear, maybe uh, hold off and check that stuff out. It's going to be sweet. We've seen yeah. some of it, shot some photos in some of it, and so um, it's rad. You're going to dig it. Something for everybody there. Uh, SKDA also, if you're looking for graphics, these guys make the best. That's pretty much all I got to tell you there. Uh, they're bringing you our Get At Me Q&A. And you can get our Whiskey Throttle Show graphics, 20% off. They're also selling now a GL graphic, which is pretty cool. I'll I'd like to take all the credit, but they were like, do you want to try something a little bit different? I said, let's do it. What do you think? I said, it's perfect. Do you want yeah. any changes? I said, no. Let's do it. So it looks great, I Fire think. Up. Anyway, you can you can buy GL's graphic. Same thing he runs on his bike. Go over there to SKDA. Check Easy those guys to put out. on. Yeah, man. The awesome material stuff. they use is so good. It just it just really lends to the contours of the plastic. You know, sometimes it's really hard to get in and out. Mm. Whatever they've done, they've done it right, and you can get the air out, and you can get it to sit and seal properly, so they actually last longer as well. Yeah, great stuff. We love those guys. We love their everything about what they've got going on, and they've got some new cool stuff that'll that'll drop in 21 that um, is going to sort of change the game for design again, uh, and that's just why we love them. They're, they're right out front leading, um, so very cool. Adidas, don't be a dick to your feet. Get in some good shoes. Um, that'll help your your ankles knees and hip joints and also have a look at their casual adidas makes a ton of stuff man you get on their website you can browse around all day uh pro circuit go over to uh instagram and follow these guys at pro circuit 78 is their handle and they've got constantly uh items of the week where they're blowing stuff out new products coming in if you're looking for pit bike stuff they're they did a new run on triple clamps and all kinds of stuff for the Yamaha ttr if it's you can find phrase, one man. of those. Yeah, yeah it's, it's blowing back up. The I think whole it's 110. E even just like the KLX 140, even they're making a lot of parts and accessories, the 230. Yeah. So a lot of those sort of more recreational bikes, they're doing a little bit where you can you know, spice them yeah. up a little bit, make them look good, run good. So I talked to, uh, I happened to be up at a race in Montana last weekend, the 32 to 1 Classic in Helena, all two-stroke stuff, yep. and uh, bumped into, Carson Brown was there racing. So okay. his dad and uncle own BBR. Oh, and he was idea. saying they're selling more stuff than they did back in the heyday of the mini bike racing scene, which was like oh five, six, seven. Even before that, even it was picking yeah. up. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's it's great. So if you're looking for that stuff, get over to Pro Circuit. They'll sell it to you, and uh, they give discounts on there that are great. Dunlop Tires, big thank you to them. Uh, try the the combo I mention to people all the time is the MX fifty three front with the MX thirty three rear. Amazing, amazing setup. Uh, my favorite. Uh, Nihilo Concepts. You get a free gift over there if you buy something using our code. And I want to just mention a couple of the new items they have. Fully floating front rotors. These things are pretty amazing the way they're built. It's like a it's like a works rotor, something you'd see on a factory race bike. Very cool. And they also have the SOS switch. So I don't know if you've seen these. Now that everything's gone electric, this is super cool. Um, the SOS is a secondary on switch. So if you happen to be in a crash or hit something and break your starter switch up on your handlebar, they have places where you can mount a, a second starter switch, just a wire that runs from your battery to somewhere. They can mount it on the frame. You can mount it in the airbox, but somewhere where if you break that starter switch up on your bar, you've got another way to start your bike other than bump starting. Guys on race teams run that? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, it's, a, it's a new product, but it wouldn't stun me cool. to see that happening because... 
Imagine if you're way out on a trail ride and smash into a tree and destroy your start. You button. got That's problems. A good point. You got problems. <laughs> if you're at the bottom of a valley, you can't bump start your bike. Can't push it back. That's down. what I'm saying. Oh, you man. could be in big trouble. Yeah. So it, a really neat product. And uh, again, why we love uh, our, the companies we partner with. Nihilo Concepts making great stuff. So check those guys out. Fire Department Coffee. Damn it, we all drink coffee, or most of us, except weirdos like Donnie. If you're going to do it, support a company that supports the sport by supporting this show. They give 10% of their net proceeds to injured firemen and their families. Uh, Fire Department Coffee, 20% off using our code. They have K-Cups, beans, ground, whatever you want. Go over there and check them out. That's all um, I drink. Yeah, you can get on a, a, a drop ship where they ship you stuff every month. Whatever you want to do. And uh, use our code Whiskey Throttle again. No capitals, no spaces. Get 20% off over there. Uh, Coffee of the month. They're always coming yeah, out with something yeah. new and cool. Yeah. I enjoy just go, going on and seeing what they got going. And then even some of the new like designs that they do. It's pretty cool. The t-shirts and stuff. And, um, yeah. yeah. Or even like the packaging. Yeah. You're like, oh, what is that one? Let me check. Oh. Yeah, the skull crusher. That. Like that uh -huh. stuff's pretty. Yeah. All kinds of rad stuff. We love being involved with those guys. So check them out. Uh, seat concepts. If you're looking for just a more comfortable saddle for anything, whether it's a motorcycle, street bike, adventure bike, quad, snowmobile, they they've got you covered. Get over to Seat Concepts and check those guys out. Amazing stuff. Um, just a better quality, better material, making the products, and it and it equates to a better ride. It's more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Not not trying to pick on the Austrians, but their seats generally aren't the most comfortable. And, and they're very big in the off-road market. They're not that comfortable. Whereas the seat concept, they've gone away from the sort of just old traditional rounded and it actually it's nice and flat so it yeah. supports your cheeks yeah. where you need it without putting the pressure sort of like on your tailbone and um and you can get it in a variety of obviously styles colors but also a different grip so mm. if you want like something that, where you can slide around more if you're that kind of person they have a really slick one and then they have an intermediate and then like super grippy so yeah there's something for everyone i think the intermediate for me is the is the the way to go the the slick one if you're paddling through the woods like i do with my short legs sometimes <laughs> you're falling off the back so um so some of them they have like where it's a little smoother on top a little bit of grip for your knees yeah so you get a bit of everything you get the what do they call those now the little ribs across ribs. the back so you can get like aggressive semi-aggressive just a few near the back so it, you never would have thought a seat could be that complex or have that many options but yeah and they, they also make seats now for the new yamaha tenere which it's a huge difference and i think even on your bike when i rode your uh, uh exe exe they make it where it's wider in the back it actually yeah. fans out and it, you kind of go well, what the hell's that for and once you ride it i mean it's like sitting into a sofa it's well, so nice a lot of times if you're not on it you're sitting in that casual position and that's where your ass is going to be more often than not yeah. it's two-thirds of the way back and that's where it's but i find where, where it flares where my out. ass is at all the time near the back <laughs> yeah what's great about that design though is where it flares back and you're standing it kind of gives you something to push back against yeah. so it's sort of dual purpose it's really neat anyway amazing products it's like the new bump it is the new hump yeah but it's more effective but i hated those i yeah. i i felt like i was being violated the and whole actually, time and actually dean wilson runs some made up janky thing on the side of his seat if you've ever seen it. and it's the same thing it's like two humps on the side so his knees can kind of grab onto that and and hold, and uh, provide some leverage so anyway seatconcepts.com check those guys out for all your seat needs specialized if you're looking for a bicycle don't waste your time hunting around specialized is the leader in that industry and whether it's a 20-inch bike, kids' bikes, mountain bikes, downhill bikes, e-bikes, 
Specialized makes the best products. And um, hey, I've been riding mine back. I, like GL and I have the same little. I just ride straight through the, the riverbed, and just the trails back here are awesome. So right, fun. Right from my house. There's right a lot here, of cool yeah. riding there. Yep, and e-bikes are just growing and getting. It's getting to be a bigger and bigger segment. A lot of the mountain bike parks are kind of like snowboards did back in the day. Everybody was a little reluctant to let them in, and it, it, it's the floodgates are opening. Uh, e-bikes are going to be allowed everywhere because that's what everyone's going to be riding. Yeah. Uh, so check out Specialized and also OGO. I want to thank those guys. The best bags, backpacks, uh, gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs. Uh, well, they also have these new like combo bags. So you can have like your boot bag with the helmet bag that, and it all fits in these compartments in your nice big gear bag. So. Yep. Multiple sizes of gear bags. Uh, so check them out. Amazing products. Uh, and again, when you talk about durability you buy one you won't need another one yeah. for years and years and years so um really great bags and they have their flight bag that a lot of a lot of the riders and teams and and when i travel use <coughs> it's designed to literally just fit yeah. in the overhead compartment so it, it's a perfect size and <coughs> surprisingly you get a lot in there and it's only about yeah. you know yay big yeah meant to fit in the overhead compartment and be legal with all airlines but it also a lot of them will have an extra zipper that you can open yeah. and it'll extend. So if you need more space and you want to check it or you're driving yeah. somewhere, you can fit more stuff in there. Very, very uh, innovative. And, and like I said, the reliability of them is incredible. So big thank you to OGO. If you want to look at them online, it's OGO underscore power sports. And uh, they make amazing products. So check those guys out. Our Method Race Wheels front end chatter. Let's dive into it. These guys bringing you the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road. So if you've got a sprinter truck, Jeep fan, Go check them out. Make it look better, work better. Um, GL, let's start with talking about the Nationals. You've been there, obviously, to yep. all of them, calling the action. You've been paying attention. What's your takeaway so far? Well, my takeaway, I think, that's been pretty cool this season is just the fact that the unpredictability. Um, every weekend, you start thinking, you know, what, what's, what's going to happen, and it changes. I mean, even just look at Redbud. There were two rounds at Redbud. The results from the first one to the second one were quite drastically different. Um, it was almost like a tale of two race weekends, but you would think, okay, well, we went to Loretta's twice, Redbud twice. All of those events, the results were different. So, 250s, um, Ferrandis just got the speed, got the pace. He's just been on it, but literally a few mistakes have cost him dearly. Uh, Redbud going down by himself, then bad start. Uh, he's made life pretty tough on himself in that aspect. But on the flip side, Jeremy Martin, he's finding sort of his groove again. You know, that kind of old J-Mart from a few years ago when, before he got injured. Um, and I think... He knows that he may not quite have the speed on Ferrandis, but he's getting good starts, not making the big mistake, and in fact, now has the points lead. True veteran moves by Jeremy Martin. He, he's obviously giving it everything he's got, and the speed is just not quite there compared to Ferrandis, you know. And I was even talking with a buddy of mine, Gareth Swanepoel, and he said, you know, we go to the track and he trains basically the star team minus Ferrandis. He goes, we go, and I go, you know, everyone's got the stopwatches, and he goes, my guys are a second or two quicker than most of the other guys. And he goes, and then Ferrandis shows up, and he's a second or two quicker than everyone mm -hmm. else. So, like they said, it's just been, everyone's trying to figure out how to match him on speed. But as long as he makes mistakes, it's it's What do you think of that him. move with Ferrandis and Jeremy, where he came and kind of rear-ended him or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think everyone has an opinion, of course, and you can take it for what it's worth. I think Ferranis was coming. Martin was closing the door. 
I do think it was a bit of a racing incident. I thought it was maybe Ferranis was a little ambitious, you could say. But he was also a little ambitious with his move on Christian Craig and Supercross, and people had a meltdown over that. So I think Ferranis is just a no-hesitate. I don't sees think it was that bad of a move. It. I mean, it was obviously shouldn't have taken him down, but I, but I just think it was for like... Sure. I just th it looked like he didn't anticipate that Jeremy was going to come over so far. And That's what it did, looked like to Jeremy me. Jeremy did close the door. And yeah. the, the, you know, you, you could just tell if you look at it in slow motion, Franis had more speed. Martin was coming. It's like a car crash. Yeah. You know, you know, you see it coming, but well, yeah. And, and as a racer, a lot of times you'll try to just show a wheel and get the guy to make a mistake, or maybe he overcooks the turn or whatever. And in this instance, it looked like his front fender or something bar. Yeah. Just clicked Jeremy and, and it went badly. But well, he nine was times out of ten, door, yeah, you I would do that, that same thing. You know, you would run up and show him a wheel, even if you go, yeah, I'm probably not going to pass him, but let me make sure he knows I'm right Nobody here. likes the wheel, dude. Nobody, Nobody likes the, the wheel. Nobody wants to see the wheel. No. No. So, but I also understand why Jeremy probably was a bit pissed off about it. I mean, you get hit from behind and go down, and you're like, what the hell, man? I'm yeah. not overly like a I don't dislike Francis or but I don't think I just looked like it was kind of benign. It's just like oh, it was a little bit of a mistake. It didn't look so bad. I don't think so either. And and you know like when you if if we're going all the way back, I know we rehashed this a lot on on Carmichael's show, but the the Anaheim incident, it wasn't even just the one move with Craig. It was like there was multiple things throughout that race that he did that I'm like, mm. yeah, and they were sort of adding up, right? So. I think but we that we could say the same thing about Bosch sometimes. Totally, totally. You know, and you I could say, oh, you know, he's a little ambitious at times. I think when you start to look at Ferrandis's, because I try to look at the whole body of work of his whole career, right? And he had a couple of questionable things in Europe where he put his foot out to kick a guy on a start. Like, just, I think that he, he just wants it. I mean, as I've watched more and more races and seen him, this guy wants to win. Well, plus, bad. you see the guy that has more points than you in front of you, he definitely wants to get in front of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think he rides with any ill will. I've said that before. I don't think he's out to take people out. I think the way he rides is it's just, like you said, he wants it, he's driven, he's focused. And if he sees Jeremy Martin, he knows he has to get around him. But it also, I think, was one of the reasons why he crashed was he was trying to pass Martin coming out of that turn on the opening lap. And you see it, he's next to him, and he just grabs a handful <laughs> to like beat him to the next turn, and he just... Yeah, helicopter. He's, he's lucky he didn't get hurt in that. He's that really was a pretty big that one. one. Yeah. I'm actually a Jeremy Martin fan. I mean, I I like I like the way Ferrandis wants it, but it's like I still look at that. And I'm like, oh, that was to that was totally benign. It was like, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad we all. I uh, I think. Same thing. Well, I think another thing that is doesn't help Ferrandis much is I think people can take him the wrong way from his interviews. I think because of the language barrier, sometimes he says things. And it may come across as arrogant. You know, someone like Censorello is always like, oh, I'm just so happy to be here. These guys are all so talented, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I saw with yeah. Ferrandis, they said, man, you went from 40th to 3rd. Like, you made it look easy. Was it easy? And he's like, yeah. And some people are like, oh, he's cocky. And I'm like, yeah, but if you go watch it, he's not lying. Well, and and he doesn't know how to say, oh, no, it's not easy. I worked really hard. Then he was just saying, I was just doing my thing coming through. So his interviews guys like sometimes that, don't do many things. Guys like that through history. Bob Hanna would say that all the time. He's like, yeah, yeah I whooped these Here, guys. Here's the thing about that, though, and maybe this is something Jimmy needs to button. His agent needs to step in and sort of work with him a little bit on. But look who his coach is. David Villeman talked that same way. Yeah. Like he, it's yeah. just no bullshit. It's yeah. like, no, this is the way it, you know, yeah, no, it wasn't that hard. I, I came yeah. up and, you know what I mean? He, so he's, DV is probably not coaching him on, well, 
you're going to want to say it like this, because or, or you're going to alienate American fans. You know, he's he just, also said something in that same interview where he wasn't happy that he got third. He was upset that he didn't win. Mm. So it's like he's not even thinking about third. He's thinking he didn't get first. Yeah. And and he had this. Well, he should. You could say he should have won, yeah. but nothing's ever given to you in racing. But when you're that much better than everyone else. And someone goes, man, that was a great ride for third. In the back of your head, you're like, yeah, but that's not where I yeah. should have won that one. Right. So nothing, nothing's going to feel that good. What about in the 450 class? I think the biggest head scratcher has been a lack of Eli Tomac. He kind of showed up for a second. And then as our buddy Debo would say, we had Elito Mac out there <laughs> doing some work and some bikes blowing up. What about the... The oh my DNS gosh, who would ever have seen, thought that was coming? I don't remember that happening since like the first year of four strokes. This shows you how hard he is on clutches. Well, that was the thing I was curious too, is imagine in that position, if you're with Cowie or, or on one side of the fence or the other, as Tomax, you're probably going, hey, have you guys sorted out the problem? And if you cower, you might be going, what problem? No one else is having an issue. Lay off the clutch. So um, I don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but I'm sure there might be. I'm sure there's a little bit of tension. And in, in I think with Adam, the new golden child, Eli is expected to win. Things have gone. Maybe how Cowie may have thought a little bit. You know, um, Adam will improve. Maybe Eli just being a little bit off. But it just seems like. Something is not 100%. And I also, you know, and, and then maybe we can ask Chad a little bit. I think he was someone that was saying the same thing. The season's been pushed so long, and everyone just keeps riding and training. And you watch these guys. Like, I watched after Iron Man when Eli holds off Barsha. Eli, in 115-degree weather, comes off, and he looks like he catches his breath pretty quickly. He's sweating a little bit, but he never looks smoked. It wasn't even that hot in Ironman. I mean, it was it was mild. It was almost like fall weather. And you watch him afterwards. He's sitting on the hay bale, and you and you just it almost looks to me like that's someone that's burning out. Mm-hmm. Like these guys have just been going, going, he going, 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 or going, trained too long, and, and they've passed their well, window. Well, think about it. Not that they train too long. The circumstances have led to it. So that's what I mean. I don't mean that. Think about it. This is the off season right now. Yeah. And these guys are still full bore. And even Osborne alluded to the fact that. Yeah, we've we've cut back at Baker Factory, you know, from three days of riding a week a, to two days. And I know days. we're a long way away, but and how is this going to bleed over into Super? It definitely is going to because the the tough part was we didn't know was there going to be a national series. Yeah. Do you take some time off right you now? No one When's could. it going to start? Well, is think it, about it. It was we didn't have those answers early Supercross on, so they had back. to keep riding. Yeah. Supercross was pushed back, so it was like, all right, Supercross, Supercross. Okay, we'll keep riding. We'll keep training. Keep riding. All right, the schedule's coming. Okay, we'll keep riding. Keep training. Then everyone went up to altitude, rode their asses off for, what was it, a little over a month straight. Six weeks, I think. Then it's everyone disappeared to your home ground and totally changed your mindset, changed everything. We're doing motos, no break. And moto, moto, moto. Oh, season's been pushed to June. Okay, no worries. Moto, moto. No, we're going to start in July. Moto, moto. Oh, wait, no, middle of August. Yeah. Do you know who might <laughs> look like the smartest man come January is Ken Roxon. That's a great point. I, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Eli. Maybe some of it is burnout. He just had a kid. He doesn't look like he's I, just I heard full when, of energy. I like heard when you have a baby, you mode. lose two seconds a lap or something. Well, <laughs> that's that's old school. That's I know. A I'm lot of people kidding. have kids now. I'm but but th- certainly that's a distraction, right? Like That's a huge thing in your life where normally you're just focused yeah. on one thing, and now you're going, wow, this is... 
Well, you and know, no joke, an is he getting moment. the same amount of rest and things? Because I think you guys if anyone's can ever ever had a baby, you it's know terrible. That. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I honestly think that's playing well, in order into to make it. the baby there was a lack of rest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he knocked out that forty minute moto and just probably went right to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I Trish's bar. And <laughs> I yeah, he had a little. Didn't even have to sit on the he, like he had a recovery <laughs> shake and went to bed. <laughs> what if he gives a podium speech when he's done? <laughs> I'll have to hit Eli up about that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's something to that. It, it could certainly be um, the pressure of that Supercross championship. He wanted that so badly. I think he put a lot of pressure on himself to stay sharp to the very end. Yeah. No, no breaks, no resting. You know what I mean? He stayed sharp. And then to come out of that and go, okay, I finally got this thing. I don't even get to catch my breath. I've got a baby coming or just had come or whatever. And now I got to go do nationals. I just yeah. think maybe the focus and fire, like you're saying, is not quite there. Well, that definitely could be an option. I think with Eli, and, and, and here's the thing, riders will always say, yeah, you know, I'm still fully committed, I'm focused. You, you have to read through that sometimes is, are they just saying it or can you physically see that? And I don't think he's not trying or anything like that. I genuinely do think that Eli, the way he rides is the way he lives and trains. Just as hard as you can a lot of the time. And maybe this is one of those times where theoretically not pacing himself through the season has led because whenever he has those incredible rides he looks like he's got the strength and power to go through any of the rust stuff no yeah. problem and it just looks like at the moment almost like it's not quite there and you know they've had this uh, weekend off i'm going to be curious to see how uh you know if that made any difference maybe he went home and just said you know what i need a week off and just yeah. Go out in the wilderness I, and do my thing. I always think that it's an interesting um, concept. Like Rhino always says this. I don't know if you've heard him say this. Is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I, I kind of go, ah, is that true? And I try to think about how I approach things. And I'm, maybe there's some truth to it, right? Like the way you do anything mindset. is the way you do everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I, I, you know, with Rhino, I can never tell if he's a genius or he's a, a lunatic or somewhere in between. <laughs> that, but he he walks that line for sure. <laughs> dances across it, but there might be something to that. Maybe you're right. Eli's always just full throttle, right? Mash it down, and so maybe it's caught up. There is no real finesse there, so um, like any human being, you can only push so hard for so long. How much off-season, like when you finish the Nationals normally, a racer, what what do they do? Do they go into a rest for a month? How how does that work? I don't think there's a simple strategy. I think for me, over the years, it was maybe let an injury recover. Maybe it was a little quick fix surgery. Or maybe you felt good and you switched teams and went straight into it. If if I didn't feel like I needed a break to me, I always tried to not lose any base. Maybe take a week off or 10 days just to really just recharge and then start building back up again. But I was one that didn't like to go, oh, I'm going to just step away for a while and then start all over again. You, you take a month off? I mean, you're That's a piece a of shit when you come back. You you lose you can't so even, much. You can't go to the test track and test properly. <laughs> like you go there and they're like, "How's the bike feel?" Like, well, <laughs> that was after two laps. The whoops are pretty big. <laughs> but is there years that you felt it was easier to continue, and other years where yes. you're like, "Is that all mental? Is that physical? How does that?" It's a bit of everything. Yeah. So that's the thing. Is like, is yeah. he mentally just forget about physically? Is he just burnt out mentally? I mean, he well, accomplished. Else. It's like he just took a giant breath by winning that Supercross championship, and 
what what is his mindset after that? He's accomplished every goal possible. Well, if you go look at everyone that's in the last few years won the Supercross, they've just gone and struggled in outdoors. Almost like it takes just that much out of you that it's just so hard to... Ferrandez said the same thing last year, that he, you know, he'd worked so hard for Supercross, it took him a while to get going. But because you go look at the season, Cianciarello dominated the first half, and then Ferrandez sort of dominated the second half, but it wasn't enough. Mm. And um, I don't know. I just think the problem with Eli, too, is because we hold him to such high standards, we're here talking like the guy's falling apart. But yeah, I know. You know he's still winning, <laughs> he's winning still, races. <laughs> he's still a, a podium contender every weekend. So Yeah, but normally you'd see him in fourth or something, especially in the Nationals, and by the end of the race, he's charged back to first. Okay, so here's another thing, though. No one's really talking about everyone else picking up the pace. I mean, Barsha looks amazing. Barsha's riding as good as I've ever seen him. He looks amazing. Osborne's riding the best he's ever ridden. He looks Cincerello's amazing. riding the best he he's ever ridden. He looks great, yeah. Um... Anderson Marvin looks Marvin Marvin looks good at times. So he smoked him that first moto and and Marv, yeah, he's also riding riding well. So I think factor all that together, these guys are going really fast as well. So maybe Eli doesn't quite have that separation that he had in the past. You know, I think in years past he was able to find another gear. Also, the tracks look a little bit different. We've gone we've only been at three different tracks for five rounds. Two tracks that people have never raced as, as pros on big bikes. And then Redbud was just a little bit different between the weather and the time of year and the rain. And I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just like, this is, this is not normally how it is. So mm. when things are a little bit different, maybe that takes his advantage away. You know, if the braking bumps aren't as big as usual or it's more stutter. If you look at, if you watch the racing, you see the bikes look more nervous rather than hitting the big stuff. So... Maybe that's not a specialty. You know, maybe it took away his advantage. I don't know. I think there's a lot of little things that you could factor in, but there's enough. There's enough. There's still enough racing to be done. That if he can flick that switch again, it's going to be fun. But you can't count him out. There's no doubt about that. What do you see happening if you had to? Just between the nuances you've seen, kind of sitting there watching. If he's closely. if he's not burnt out, I think maybe he can come back from this weekend off. You think about it. It was pretty chaotic. You, you had mud and. Tennessee, and then another mudder, and then his bike broke, and then Iron Man, he won, and then Redbud was a little unorthodox. Maybe we get back to a little more, because think about it, you've got four rounds in four different parts of the country. You've got Millville, Minnesota, everyone knows that track pretty cool up there. Then you go down to Florida, not a huge difference in track, but going to be different in weather and humidity and that can other crush some people if the heat exactly because that has crushed some it's people it's still going to be september and florida september is still brutal <clears throat> then you go from there we go to colorado where we could be in a blizzard mm. up at altitude and then you come down to parlor so i mean that's quite a variety of tracks in four weeks the nice thing about though what these last four tracks are that they're tracks that they've been to before yeah. and it's going to be the most basically familiar type of racing yeah out of so, everything so, so far. with that said, if you see some more familiar, familiarity, how the hell you say that? Tongue twisted. Maybe you see those results coming back where Eli is just a little bit stronger than the other guys. Let me ask you this. Um, two questions. Will there be an asterisk next to these championships? 
I don't think they should. Be. I don't think they should be. Either. I think they not, raced it, and it is not, what it is. To me, that's not fair on the on the athletes or the riders. It's not they, their fault. No yeah. one caused this. Everyone made the most of it. And you know what? My thing is, you got to learn to adjust. And I said it before the season started, even for outdoors. It's who can, you know, if you're really, really a routine guy. 2020 really fucked you over. Yeah, <laughs> like if you want everything by the book, it wasn't good. Yeah, but if you want someone if that you could just go by the seat of their pants and make adjustments on the fly and be confident with their decisions. I think those are the ones that help them. And I think someone who I thought might be good at that and is proving it is Osborne. Yeah, I he's think amazing. because he he's been to Europe, he's been yeah, he's but he's been used to that disruptive routine, if it makes sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's doing better than most under these situations. I've changed, I'm changing my mind. There should be an asterisk that under these terrible circumstances, these guys still raced and won a championship. <laughs> that's really uh, that's really <laughs> interesting. You say that because you know it's almost like you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable yep and going to europe being an american and going to europe boy traveling around the world nothing living will in make a motorhome yeah, yeah go here go there eli likes to go home train yeah. at his place on his time his i think he's a very routine guy mm. and likes it that way throw this all in oh we're not we're gonna wash no we're not gonna wash we're gonna race here again okay we're gonna do a double header there okay mm-hmm. some people it just doesn't work as well for them and then last question any rookies stand out to you well, there's always, I mean, I would obviously say Sex and Cincerello, as much as you, we might not want to consider them rookies, they are technically they rookies are, yeah. in the 450 class. Um, I I would say with Sexton, he was one of those guys, I thought he could do very well, but you weren't sure, and he did, so I was like, okay. And then with Adam, I didn't know if maybe the pressure and that feeling like I've got to go up and perform might hurt him a little bit. Supercross, obviously, he showed pace, had a few crashes, but you can see him starting to put it together. So I think that's been fun to watch for him. And then I'm trying to think of the 250 class. He got the shaft on his win, right? Because he was going to go 1 1, and then he tangled to the lapper. Adam. Yeah. 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 Like, I'm glad it didn't cost him the overall. Who's, I the, felt bad who's for him. the star kid who got the whole shot and. Tie, 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 tie yeah, yeah that would, was pretty. Like, kind of choked me up when I heard what heavy, that was yeah. about. I was like, oh. Well, yeah. now that you mention it, he was one that's because he just it was like, oh, time master pulls back, cool. And then all of a sudden, whole shot leading, whole shot leading. You're like, well, that's an entrance. Uh, definitely in the 250, him, and then um, the Rock River kid Gonzalez. Hmm. He's um, he's just been like sneaking in these top tens on a on a satellite team, and uh, he came in with no hype. Well, not much hype. So I've been watching. I'm like, man, kid keeps putting in good results. Mm. Cool. Well, uh, anxious to see how that season shapes up. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is silly season. And there's been a lot of drama already. Uh, Dylan Ferrandis, obviously one of the big signings. And he was really adamant that he didn't want to go to Yamaha. For whatever reason, I think a lot of the issues they've had on that race team are personnel related or were and you've even heard that from chad talking to he doesn't say any names but if you read in between the lines you could sort of get that vibe from him and what he said in the first couple episodes but going into 2021 star racing is going to take over yamaha's 450 effort so they will have two trucks one's 250 one 450 um aaron plessinger has a spot there and it looks like dylan francis is going to wind up there however it didn't look that way uh to start out with he was looking around he was uh, well, the TLD Gas Gas team uh, was actually talking to several different people early on, uh, including Osborne, including 
uh, Moose Can. Uh, came close on both of those deals and just different issues mixed it up. They had Ferrandis done and kind of last minute that fell apart. So anyway, it's been a weird deal the way that's all happened. <laughs> what else do you see playing out? If, if you got Plessinger and, and um, Barsha, oh, Barsha was the other guy who was looking at TLD. That was very, very close to being done. Yamaha used, exercised their first right of refusal. So Also, I think it's one of the situations that Barsha has a ton of loyalty towards Alpine Stars because even when he didn't have a ride, mm. they still continue to support him. And you can respect that. You know, if you've been a TLD guy and you're going to lose that deal and you've been there your whole life, there's some, you know, there's always going to be some emotion involved. And I think, you know, when you come to TLD, the team, you got to wear the gear. So, you know, Marv's been a lifer at Thor and you got got mm. um, Barsha who's been almost a lifer with Alpine Stars. So... There's some. There's always those. You know, we talk about behind the scenes stuff where it's like everyone's weighing up their options. But uh, it looked like Bosch was going to go to the gas gas, and then the latest rumor is that he will be staying at Yamaha. So it sounds like they're going to have a three man team, um, which I think. Hey, you know, you were they were talking about is Yamaha going to be around? Now you got three riders instead of two. So I think that's a, a win for the sport if that happens. But that obviously will free up a spot with gas gas. Chad, Chad made mention that Yamaha needs to adjust some of their management. Do you think that they already that? have? That's what's happening. Yeah. They've, there's a lot of details to that. Maybe Chad will talk more about it today. But when I walked past the Yamaha rig at the last race, I was like, hmm. I know people had mouse on, but I'm like, there's a lot of people I don't recognize. Your buddy's gone, right? Dino Dan's gone. Yeah. I, I actually haven't had a chance to talk to him about it. I hate calling someone like, what happened? You yeah, know, yeah. like being one of those mm. people. So, um, We'll, we'll end up going to dinner, and, and um, I don't know the details, and I'd, so I'd, I don't want to speculate if I don't know. I'm not speculating they've either. Just, I'm they've just, just made some changes just. and adjustments, and I think um, maybe Yamaha thinks the best route for them is to support a good team like Star that have shown, hey, together we work well. A lot of times <clears throat> when you have in-house factories, in my opinion, there's too much um, paperwork, insurance, HR, you know, there's so many things that get in the way of preventing a race team from... Race teams need to be ran by the, like, seat of the pants. Like, all right, that's not working. We're going to do this. Not We'll have a meeting about have a meeting. They have to be able to change directions quickly. And and in a massive corporation like Yamaha or Honda, any of them, you can't... It's a Titanic. The thing doesn't turn around in a hurry. So... By going to Star, and I thought this years ago, back when they went to L&M and Chaparral, I thought, oh, that's the direction we're all going. And I thought that was better, because Yamaha could say, okay, here's the money we spent on our race team here. Now we can support Rock River and Star the and The problem, too, was they were, they, were, they were, Yamaha was trying to do their thing while the other teams were trying to do their thing, and I think that that creates tension and issues. Yeah. It's almost better off to have someone say, okay, these are the guidelines you just need to follow. Besides mm-hmm. that, we'll work on everything else, and maybe have a liaison, but I think it'll be a good move for Yamaha. I think it'll probably save them some money as well as I think it'll end up better results because Absolutely. they'll be able to move yeah. quicker and make guys happier. I think that too. Now, what do, what do you think's happening at Cowie? Looks like same thing staying with Eli and I AC. I that team's pretty much done. Um, I'd be curious with KTM because obviously with Marv, is he riding for his his ride at the moment? Um, I mean, he's putting in performances that show that he probably deserves it. I just don't know if 
maybe it's Roger or whoever, KTM, if they're like, okay, it's been like 10 years now and, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Are they beginning to think Marvin won't win? You know, not losing hope, but just thinking, we want, you know, if, if, if we think Cooper can win, you don't want to have a teammate where you think, well, some teams are happy to go, okay, he's our number one guy, that's our number two guy, that's what we can afford, but Marv wants to be a number one guy. He has a big fan base, too, though, bigger than people think. A lot of people like I, I think Marv and Cooper is a great combo, I because I think that if either one of them went out with an injury, you could lean on either one of them, yeah. And, yeah. and they're both title contenders. I, I think Marv stays there, um, but then again... Okay, Here's what about thing, but you got gas gas and let's be honest that's all under the same umbrella so what if they want to go you know what for us this works better you go there you hey, go what there, do they do they, do they build another building next to the other two buildings how does that work <laughs> gas gas building next to the I don't know what they're going to do they own that pretty much that whole entire city block that block yeah um, and across the street too and where they have that maintenance area or the yeah that's pretty interesting. And so then Rockstar... Well, they got to sell some bikes. Rockstar Husky. Yeah. What do you think will happen there? Anderson um, and Osborne stay? Yeah. I I'm, I don't know if they're going to spend the money for a three-man team again. Um, well, Dean said he resigned, right? So he's in. I think so, yeah. So, And I know Osborne stayed because he was another one talking to TLD. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Rockstar wouldn't let him out. Yeah. Rockstar, the energy drink. So those two are staying. Shoot, maybe you do see uh, Anderson come over to that. That's a good team, though. The three of those guys are a good team. Great team. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't know. It's a lot of money. That's, yeah. With that, is especially it like, with Osborne stepping no, up. No, listen. His, his value I get went it, up to but here. Yeah, are, they paying, are they paying Dean a ton of money? I wouldn't think so. Yeah, but still. It's the just, cost of going I was racing. Say, let's just I say it's a few hundred grand. Then... Just the cost of bikes, parts, mechanic, travel, and all that's another half a million. In that. So to have a rider, it's a million bucks. Yeah. To give him a decent salary. Every and time, the cost. though, you add a rider, you uh, you uh, amortize that cost over those three riders. I mean, it doesn't add. When you add another rider, you're not adding another million. You're only maybe adding a three quarters of that, well, half of that. No, because no, you still got travel, you still got parts, yeah. mechanic. you still got mechanic. Yeah, you know, but, but the truck's still going money. to the race, and yeah, but now in the truck there needs to be more food, more yeah. pressure washing, more storage, more this. More it's parts. probably not a one for one. You're right, but no, no, no. But it's I'm saying a to add a rider, cost. a third rider, like of his caliber. You can basically say we we got to add a million dollars to the budget. A million dollars to have a uh, rider on it. To a have team. one rider is probably two million dollars because right. of the truck and everything, right? And the driver and all that. But after that, you're still looking at big bucks. <laughs> to give you some perspective, when I managed Troy's team in '09 and '10, even with Ben Townley, Will Hahn, Cole Seeley, our budget was under nine hundred thousand dollars for the whole year. That's pretty good. Wow. So, but what's happening to uh, what is it the uh, Rocky Mountain ATV MC. I don't know. I, I. There again, I've heard some rumors. I heard some people potentially owed money. Um, I don't know if that team will be around for sure. Mm. Um, I think another one that could be that's relying on sponsors and things to come together. I think is JGR as well. If they don't get enough of what they need, I don't think that that team will be around. So hopefully Suzuki's able to. To continue to help them, they've had a little bit of success in the outdoors, and I'm hoping that's going to just help the situation. Well, Suzuki's not paying Carmichael anymore. I, the, 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 if you start looking at the trends of Suzuki over the past decade, 
It's not good. Yeah, it's just the circle in the drink. Yeah, yeah. But doesn't mean now. It I, doesn't doesn't I, mean anything. If a new boss comes in who's passionate about racing, he could fire it all back up. Mm -hmm. But if they keep going the direction they're going, but here's the thing. It's a shame. This is what I try to tell people. Not everyone can be the premier brand. Not everyone can have the latest, greatest, or the all the championships or everything. I think Suzuki's strategy is. If we don't spend a shit ton of money on racing and development and all that, we can still sell good bikes at a great price yeah. because they're just undercutting everyone on price. So if you come, if someone says to me, oh, I'm a weekend warrior, well, why is that bike so much cheaper? I'm like, it doesn't have electric start, but otherwise you should be fine. If you feel like kicking it, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, I can buy one of these. I found one for 4900 bucks, has six hours on it. I'm like, yeah. What do you do? And he's like, I just ride for fun with my kid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, great bike. It's a great bike. You know, KTM, they're like ready to race. That's their slogan. That's their, that's their, it's also like, nearly $11,000. For sure. Yeah. You know, and then you got the other Japanese brands that, you know, Yamaha likes, they pride themselves on their bikes lasting forever, which they do. Um, Cowie's been a little more innovative, a little more. You know, like the Team Green stuff. Like if you buy a Cowie, you know, a lot of times you get like these bonus bucks and then like this, the, you know, maybe like a swag bag with like Team Green stuff and a stand and a mat to make that guy feel like he's a part of a, you know, a, a team. You're like Team Green, you know, I'm part of the Cowie program. So everyone has a little thing. And I think Suzuki is just like, well, we'll just give you a good bike at a good price. I, I wish I could have a say over there. If those For guys sure. would turn back on, there's two strokes and be great two strokes. Be affordable four stroke two, yeah. bikes, and here's some entry level two strokes, and they're great. They have some great bikes. But just retool the same motors, the same bikes they used to build, or, or throw them in an aluminum frame if that's cheaper. <sighs> You're right, that could be a great way to go. Do you see the new, uh, what's it called, a Xantic? Uh, yeah. Uh, am I saying it right? I don't know, but I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, it's a company I don't know. that works I know. I saw in Italy, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Works with uh, Yamaha, yeah. and it is basically a Yamaha yep. Fantic. Fantic. Oh, it's I've a seen Fantic. Those yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, guys yeah. racing them in the yeah. 125 yeah. Uh, class over in Europe, uh, okay, but now, it's a Yamaha. Yeah. You know, other than I think the plastic's different, and they do it. It's sold with a pipe and a little bit of motor work. Yeah. I got a question for GL. I see your brother-in-law's brother riding a lot now. Yeah. Any? Uh, what have you heard about that? Oh, there's some rumors circling there too. Um, I think Ryan misses racing. So, I mean, there how might does, be how, a small chance he lines up How does he get, he how does he get a Honda? Does, does he call up and say, hey, uh, "Can you send me out a?" F I mean, the bike looked pretty, pretty good. I'm pretty sure he can do that. Yeah, I mean, he is Ryan Dungey, so I'm sure if he asks for a nice bike, they go. <laughs> send me your address. It's yeah. on its way. Why wouldn't you? No, I agree. I'm just and I, and, and I don't try to ask too many qu questions because you got family and nothing worse than feel like you're interviewing someone at Thanksgiving or whatever. So, <laughs> But I think um, with Ryan after he went and did you know, the Geico Honda dealing, even though that didn't pan out, I think that uh, it may have closed the door at KTM. I don't know. I'm kind of speculating, but I Maybe think there might be a little, little, little bit of sour grapes there. So I think you know, you close one door, the other one sort of opens. And um, I mean, I haven't seen him too got, much, but he new, looks good on that bike. We got a new Mike LaRocco situation on our yeah, hands. Yeah. He's going to show up with some outside sponsor, Target, or yeah. something else. He's already got that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's going to come down to if it makes sense. I think he's could do you 
I know that I'm asking a dumb question. Could he come back and be competitive? I think so. I don't think he was one of those guys that, I mean, Ryan's, I think because he's trained his whole life, he is just tuned to be an athlete. He still works out. He still trains. He, li he likes to do that kind of stuff. He's just, uh, when I was done racing, I was like, get rid of the bicycles, <laughs> get rid of the treadmill. <laughs> Cancel gym membership. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> GL, cut the, GL cut the workout room off the end of his house. Yeah. No, yeah, it became the video game room. Krispykreme.com. Yeah. I'm now yeah. on the Donut of the Month Club. Exactly. So, <laughs> I've always been on that program. So. Whereas someone like him, it's I think he just kept going. And, um, you know, we talked about it before that, and it's, it may seem like a dig at Alden, but I think he, with the way he did things, riders were just maybe getting burned out sooner and not having as much fun as maybe they normally would. And because I said to Ryan, you sure you're not going to regret? No, no, no. 100% confident in my decision. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like... <sighs> well, also, what is he doing? Like, does he have what... Is he He's trying. I mean, he, he even started his own coffee company and yeah. things like that. And, and I think it's one of those... Sometimes when you stop racing, you don't really know... What gets you, you know, like what makes you tick? Well, it took me a while. We've seen this on this show how many times guys are still struggling to figure out what to do next. Who are they? So yeah. I think he's in that mode still, and, and folks close to him even said that he's he's searching, he's struggling. He's young. I mean, how, what is he? Twenty eight? Is he twenty nine? I forget his exact age now, but yeah. Well, listen, I'm not going to complain if he comes back. Me either. Cool for the sport, I just something inside me goes, oh, I wouldn't do that, man. Mm. Like. I just wouldn't do yeah. that. I don't know. You you walked away so clean. He didn't have yeah. any big injuries. No, nope. you know, and it's just such. Well, a he did break break his neck. Well, he didn't need surgery. I think it was just a a wing. I I, I don't know. I don't know the Burger exact wing. details, but right. scary. But he, you know, he rode the rest of the moto. I mean, yeah, wasn't yeah. that bad. Um, I yeah, just pussy. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't mean to. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, I, no. It he walked away very clean. It, it can sound bad. Oh, he broke his neck. Oh, really? Oh, well, yeah. It was a little fracture on the side. Yeah, the there. spinous yeah. process. It's just little nubs that stick out. It doesn't... You don't need that nub. It doesn't affect the structural integrity of your spinal cord. Yeah, but you could get uh, your atlas not aligned properly with that. And oh, get out of here, chiropractor. <laughs> um, all right, what else? So, Honda, Kenny and Chase. I don't think any changes there. Yeah. And then um, maybe Ryan is a sort of potentially a supercross. Where's Brayton go? Well, that's going to be interesting. Maybe back, Ben Wright back to uh, maybe yeah, I, uh, Smart Top. I heard that there might be um, there'll probably be some help from from one of those Honda teams. And, and I, I think Ben Wright's going to probably do something over here, something bigger for the for the 450 guys. And if not, I think you're right. Maybe Motor Concepts, I think they have a pretty good relationship now with Honda, and Honda would definitely want to have Brayton there if they couldn't have him on the factory team. Uh, I've heard Mookie had sort of a falling out with Smart Top. Is not coming back there. Have you heard anything about that? I have not. I haven't heard anything. In fact, I just was assuming that he was going to be coming back, but that's I did interesting. Too. He's been riding great this year. I don't know why. I don't know what would have happened, but anyway. All right. Well, we'll uh, see what Who happens. Else? We're talking Husky KTM. Yeah, Yamaha, we kind of got through Honda. most of them. Oh, else? And what about Gas Gas? We still don't know who's going to be there. We don't know. They have uh, Pierce Brown signed for sure. Um, yeah, two fifty. But I'm anxious to see when is. What are they going to do with Max Voland? Is he starting? Is he going to wait till nationals? I haven't heard anything there. 
and I haven't heard about a 450 guy. So the good thing is there are 450 guys available. I mean, even like, um, you know, like Brock Tickle, I think he's done a great job at filling in. He has nothing for next year mm. at the moment, at least. I'm sure if he keeps up these results, something might, usually something will come. But if you're losing, let's just say you lose JGR, um, Rocky Mountain, um, Baggett, all, Baggett all would all be a good pickup. All of a sudden, yeah. He's used yeah, to the bike. Yeah, if that team goes away. Did, did Benny Bloss get hurt again? Yeah, he hurt his uh, ankle. Yeah, I saw him looking oh. off. That but I think, uh, I mean, I don't think it's anything too serious. I think it's just like a good sprain and it's bruised and swollen, but I think he'll be okay for the next round. And one more thing we wanted to touch on, if you've been following the GPs, it's been some great racing. Uh, this past weekend was a bit of a, a shake-up. Hurlings went down, hurt his shoulder, hurt his neck and back a little bit. It sounded like he had sort of a stinger and lost some feeling, but all that's come back. Uh, but he's definitely out. I had that once. It's scary. I had a stinger before where I lost feeling and I was like, worst nightmare coming true. And then, yeah, it was it was a stinger, but it'll get your attention, that's yeah. for sure. Hell yeah. So, but man, how about Karoni? <laughs> I, I love to see it. I mean, if I'm pulling for a guy over there, nothing against any other guys, but just, it's sort of like Reed was here, kind of, you know, he's just been around so long. He's just a workhorse. He gets it done. This will be, what, 10 titles if he wins this? If he, that would be amazing. I'm, I'm just rooting are, for him just for that. I would love to see that. Those guys are ass at the They moment. are so fast. The intensity level. The racing is good, too. Yeah. Well, so you just said it right there. I think that's been the biggest change I've seen in the GPs. Those guys used to come over, and they'd always say, man, the intensity is so gnarly here. Yeah. I'm not used to it. And I think they've taken, yeah, and they've adapted to that. And now, instead of just pacing it and maybe making a push right at the end, they're just like us. Laps, it's, it's just all it's over the place. All in, and so it's made it really great racing. And those guys have, have stepped up the game. It's so. been fun to watch. So anyway, I would uh, have said it would have been great to see how donations goes, but uh, that won't. We'll have to happened. put that off for another year. Yeah. Uh, anyway, wish our, the best to Jeffrey Hurlings. Hope he heals up and and uh, nothing major there. Sounds like they're just waiting on some shoulder MRIs, and it's uh, the neck back thing is is good. Just was a sort of a hit, some hematomas, some swelling. Uh, but wish him the best of luck in his healing, and uh, quietly rooting for for Tony over there. So it'll be fun to watch the rest of that. Uh, with that couple of things get over to whiskeythrottleshow.com check out our new website which is up and running um, you can buy merchandise on there you can watch all the shows you can listen to all the shows from there we've got links to all of our sponsors if you go to the bottom where it says sponsors you can click on any one of those links it takes you right to their website uh, so check that out big thank you to Temecula t-shirt printers for uh, putting together all of our merchandise uh, again you can go uh, to the website and buy through there you can also go to whiskeythrottlemerch.com buy everything there uh, from these t-shirts there's a whole range of stuff our Metzger tee our factory tees which come in every color uh, new hats all kinds of stuff we're going to have more stuff coming out first to 2021 um, and also want to make a mention to Mad Skills Motocross. We were pushing Mad Skills Motocross 3 really hard. They had a soft release. We're doing some beta testing. And they had some things they wanted to fix. So it's it's still on hold. So hang tight. I had a lot of people saying, well, I'm looking for it. I can't find it. It'll be out soon. Uh, we will announce when it does drop. But um, in the meantime, get on uh, Mad Skills Motocross 2. There's a bunch of competitions going on and obviously all the, the races and series that you can get into there. A lot of fun. So thanks to those guys. Uh, and we've got Chad Reed ready. So let's jump into our interview for part three with Chad Reed. So, Reedy, thanks for joining us again for part three here of your, your series. Uh, the first two shows have been awesome. And uh, your, your recollection of details and events has been so good. 
part of why it's taken us so long. I think we're going to have nine hours of Chad Reed here when we're all done, but um, it's awesome. Uh, one of the questions that I want to start with as we start part three, we kind of left off right at the 2-2 um, Motorsports creation, so we'll, we'll take it from there. But before we had John, we were talking a little bit about this season and kind of how weird it's been, you know, the, the motocross season starting late, Supercross ran long, and looking at Eli Tomac and some of these guys that look like they're fatigued, where that is just, you'd never see Eli Tomac fatigued. And so we were talking about what, what is that about, and, and Gio was saying, you know, look at how weird it's been. When Supercross got delayed, guys were still riding through that. They couldn't just quit riding. Yeah. Um, then they went up to Elevation up in Utah for six weeks. So that's a whole different sort of taxing on your body, racing twice a week. Uh, then you jump right into nationals, and now we're going way longer than we would normally go. Uh, you you at least went through all that Supercross stuff. What do you think? Was it harder, you know, doing all that Utah, that six weeks there? Did that take more out of you physically? Yeah, it was, it was such a different schedule, too, you know. Like, it wasn't – I didn't know that it's taxing. It, it's more the, the change of schedule and the breakup of – you're normal, you know, like, it's like, we, we, I think we become so immune to, you know, like most sports that other than NASCAR, no one really races like a schedule like we do, you know? And when you look at the world, Formula One, MotoGP, they're losing their minds on how many events they're having to cram into such a small amount of time. And I laugh at it. I, I get such a kick out of how just weak they are you know i'm like dude you're moto gp and you're formula one you don't have to do anything other than go to the gym flex a little bit and and then jump in a race car or jump on a moto gp bike you know yeah on on the weekend and uh, and for us we become so immune to riding 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 we we do more of our actual sport you know at the level that we race at more than i think any sport ever yeah. <laughs> in the world nobody does what we do you know and and so i think it's it's challenging in the fact that you race what were we racing sundays and wednesdays or yeah. i don't even remember what it was sundays and wednesdays i think um and so you're you know not only is it a your your whole days don't even feel like normal days you know like you're kind of like your week starts to feel weird you know yeah. sundays feels like saturday you know and and all these weird things you yeah. know mondays start feeling like sundays and um you know, and then, and then vice versa on the Thursdays and, and, and Fridays. So, and I think that the repetitiveness of not just going back home, you know, doing your motos, doing what you normally do, having to kind of do that in a different setting in a different environment, you can't really, you know, like, what was it? It was a longer period from the, the Wednesday to the Sunday. So yeah. then I was, I was racing Sunday wouldn't ride uh, my motorcycle until I raced on uh, Wednesday. And then I would always ride on the, on the Friday um, before the Sunday. So, and then that kind of became the, the rhythm, but it was like that rhythm started feeling normal about the last two races. Yeah. Um, so I think living that experience, I just think it was different. I didn't know that it was more taxing. I think that, you know, I'd probably say that uh, uh, being around and understanding my body and things a little bit differently. And, and obviously the series meant more, a different meaning to me. It wasn't like I was chasing a championship. I was out there, you know, wrapping up a farewell tour and enjoying the month in Utah with my family. So, um, I wasn't, you know, though I was training hard and doing everything, 
I wasn't overextending myself, yeah. you know, like I, I feel like some of those guys were pot committed. They were probably overtraining, um, doing a lot of altitude stuff, struggling in the altitude. So then trying to compensate, thinking that, you know, more's more and more's better. Um, I just kind of did my racing and then tried to enjoy the rest of the week. Um, particularly when we narrow it down to Eli, um, I think it's hard and challenging in a normal circumstances in the fact that, We've seen it year after year, whether it be myself or James, uh, RV or Dunge. Um, there's always that hangover period of just winning your first title or winning the Supercross title. And then, you know, it always seems like it's very rare that they just fire right off into the outdoor season. You know, like there's always a like they've, they've given up. They stayed way more committed to Supercross and getting that first championship or even just the championship in general. And I think that when they do that, they give up the outdoor testing. They give up the break-in schedule and that one weekend off. And it's like, so you just, you're so invested in trying to win a championship. Um, where I think Eli, that's normal. But what I think when you take into consideration, like what you, you know, backing up in the conversation, like when I left off in March, I sold all my motorcycles because I was told at the very top of, of Feld Motorsport, they told us we ain't going racing until probably September, October. And at that point, I'm like, okay, well, 2021 bikes will be out. Let's just sell the bikes, whatever. I sold all my motorcycles. I remember motorcycles. you I sold them online. You know, like, we, we didn't even have motorcycles. Like, they, everyone was like, oh, you switched to KTM. And it's like, it wasn't really like a planned, hey, I'm done with Honda. I want to switch and ride to KTM. It was kind of like the KTM to me is the best motorcycle to just go ride and have fun on. And so therefore I was planning on riding the summer out on a KTM and seeing what happens. And it just so happened that like basically within that what month and a half period, we started hearing the, you know, the talk of uh, we might go racing initially, we were going to go racing in Phoenix yeah. and then it kind of got pushed back probably about a month from what we were really planning on or originally planning on. And then we ended up in Utah. Um, you know, so I think that those guys just basically switched over to outdoors because initially that was going to be the plan. We were going to roll right into outdoors. You know, the world was in this pandemic bullshit, but everyone was kind of still just like motocross is going to just pick up and we're just going to go racing. And then <laughs> I, as we seen one thing led to another, um, that got delayed, then Supercross was the priority again. And so I think that you just see guys that have been so invested in training and riding on a, on a, on a very weird repetitive on this and then over to Supercross, back to motocross. And I, you can see it. They all look smoked to me, to be honest with you. They all look over it. Um, on top of that, all the rules, all the... Uh bs in my opinion yeah uh even the mask it's just it's just enough to piss you off and annoy you you know i won't even go watch one uh just because i won't wear a mask yeah. it just i don't know i did it at supercross i was wrapping up something but for me to go and have fun and wear it at an outdoor event when there's no fans there's no nothing i at at what point do you just go this is ridiculous wearing a mask wearing a mask this, outside is one of the dumbest things i've ever heard it's, it's only be, pretty dumb too it's, 
<laughs> it's only beaten in stupidity by people driving in their own car by themselves with their mask on, in my opinion. I, I go you by people and, and I'm like, and, and, that's and pretty special. Like guys, what is you, wrong with you? Hey. I just want to know, like I always. We don't need to hear that. This is an hour-long conversation. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, yeah. You, I've, I've experienced some amazing things in my life, and then this, this particular one has been quite, quite entertaining. Uh, I'll say yeah. one thing, and we'll leave it alone. I think. But I was, we were in Yellowstone, and I saw a lady wearing a mask, smoking. And I'm like, at what point, like, I wanted to go up to her and be like, just, just explain to me, like, explain to me what you're, why are you wearing a mask? Like, what are you scared of? You are sucking down this thing. Like it's going nothing else. Like, but yet you're scared of a virus that I may think or may not be as bad as they say. That that's maybe why they are scared because those are the people that feel a little bit guilty. Like, oh, it's people with respiratory yeah, issues. Yeah, so, yeah, like, well, I gotta we, take all we these. We should <laughs> we should move on. I don't know. If this is the conversation. No, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't. I, I think the three of us are all on the same page, and <laughs> and and there's obviously, and I respect that, that some people don't have that or share that opinion. And uh, I just I think it's a lose lose conversation. <laughs> For sure. I will so say getting back to that, I would just say that those guys look really smoked to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, like, look who's winning, you know, like, like we all know that Zach got hurt and Zach took a, a, a quite extended period of time off the bike. And from what I understand, and I don't know details, so I'm only going off of what I've heard, but I believe he was down and out for a while. And yeah. sometimes being down out and forced that time off, um, he just, I think he really got to have time off when nobody did. Yeah. Um, and though it was unfortunate, it happened in a period when the world stopped. Um, we seen how strong he was when he came back at, in Utah and he's just, you know, carried that momentum into outdoors. Um, Almost like it's it was my a blessing, opinion huh? that he's a stronger outdoor rider than he is a, a supercross rider anyway i think so um and so you the writing was on the wall you know like yeah. i really think that um it was always going to be an uphill battle for those guys to you know to beat to beat zach this year in in this in the way that it'll play out and did you think that'll this is going to carry over because really by the time it finishes you got to jump right into supercross testing assuming supercross uh, starts yeah I, I i hear what you're saying but i i don't i'll be very surprised that we start supercross in january is that right that's okay. my opinion yeah and that's not going off of anything that i know i haven't had i've had zero conversation um with feld or anybody there but that's just my opinion on what's you know like or uh, we certainly don't start January the first week of January in, in California. It's, I, it's, it's no a way. lot to try and to try and squeeze in, and what they're going to have a very very yeah. short amount of time. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. From I, where know, I think I think it has zero to do with timing because I don't think that Feld Motorsport gives a flying whatever about the kit, the people, and their timing and their their rest period and what outdoor does and what they do. I think that they think about themselves one hundred percent as they should. Um, I think it comes down to the way the world is right now, and I don't believe California is is having or you know hosting events with forty five thousand fans. Yeah. Uh, in January. Yeah, to get from where we're at today to yeah, yeah. come on in Supercross as normal. Yeah, I don't. I don't see well, we get that far. The the 
big difference I see is, you know, your your football, baseball, those are huge, huge organizations with tons of money that can Aren't subsidize they for a while. a good while. example right now? Well, but I think they can afford to not have fans in the stands, whereas I think felt being the size that they are, they are better off postponing and waiting till I'm things reopen. I'm surprised that and making money. I'm blown away that outdoor motocross is running. I am too. I I I would have lost a lot of money on motocross happening with no fans. I I'm really well, they've really had surprised. Some limited and, and fans my, in some places, or they've reworded yeah, it. Fans you, and you obviously they're, they're they're trying to double dip on the amateur side of things, and yeah. you know that's kind of where they probably cover their cost a lot. Um, but for me, it just it's crazy that there's you know that those events are happening without fans because we all know we're not all stupid on how these things work and whatever. And it's like, nobody's in it to just run it. And for the good time of it, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. And you know, whether you love it or not, it's at the end of MX sports is a business and it has yeah, to, yeah. you know, you got to pay the bills and, and things like that. And from my understanding, obviously NBC stepped up a lot. So that's, you know, probably the big part of it is NBC's making, you know, making sense of why we're, why we're going racing. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, Got to give credit where credit's due. They did step up and help with s- even some financial um, assistance to some of the promoters and that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I think everyone's taking in the shorts. You know, no one's no one's crushing it. But I think if with everyone subsidizing somewhat, they're just able to get by. And of course, it's better to have a series than ne- not have one yeah. at all. Then you lose all your sponsors, and everyone yeah. wants their money back or whatever. So I think they made the most of it. You know, Washougal yeah. was meant to happen last second. They had to pull the plug. But a lot of people were like, hey, we're happy to stay here. The trucks are here. The bikes are here. It costs us a lot less than going across country. So a couple yeah, things. Yeah, going across. I mean, at, in, the, in the big scheme of things, it definitely made much more sense to do a doubleheader in, in Loretta's than, than, you know, haul everything over to, you know, the other side of the country and then yeah. get it all back again to, you know, Indiana and things like that. So. I think that the the way the schedule's shaping up, it makes makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, I want to jump back into your your stuff here. Kind of where we left off was uh, started two two motorsports, but uh, I've got a lot of people asking me. Uh, literally a dozen different questions about the lawsuit with L&M. Uh, you mentioned as you left that team, things kind of went sideways. What's the status on that lawsuit? Yeah, I mean it's it's all said and done at this point. Um, you know, they, they offered, they owed me a lot of money. Uh, you know, we were suing each other. Um, it was in litigation and, and, and just like everything, it was kind of one of those things where it really sucked to lose that much money. Um, because at the end of the day I won the case, but didn't get my money. So then for me, I didn't win. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have to pay anything either. And I'm like, okay, that makes zero sense. So in the big scheme of things, the only people that win in that situation are the lawyers. Are the lawyers They're the only yeah. ones that made. Um, they always make but up. But I like learned bandits. a lot. I learned a lot about. I, I think moving forward after litigation, and you know, like I'd never been in litigation. I'd never sat in a room and you know been drilled. And you know, you see a, a you know a booklet of uh, you know two hundred plus pages of of this stuff that they may or may not want to talk about or may try to dig into and. Um, you know, present, past, the uh, things that you've done, 
um, whether it be on social, on your emails, um, you know, text messages, all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of like you get a bit of a, an understanding of what the real world's like. And so I think from that moment on, I learned a lot. Like I learned that when you say something in, in a context of saying it, it can be used against you in this way, this way, this way. For sure. Um, because lawyers don't do anything, you know, like it just, it's like, it's everything's fair game. Um, some of the things that they would try to use against you, like was just so dumb. It was so, it was actually that dumb. It was funny. And you just, I just would laugh. And well, the guys don't you like, feel like you, one of the main things they're gonna that they try to do is have everyone question your integrity or your or your or who you are? Come after your oh, character. He said this once upon a time, and he mentioned I'll that. I'll pick one thing, like one thing in the litigation that that was just hilarious to me was uh, I just won a championship two weeks prior to in Vegas. Then the first national was in Glen Helen. Um, I showed up to watch the race. Uh, Aaron Bates was doing TV at that point. Um, you know, and sh obviously as the newly crowned super crush champion and being at the race, you know, it was natural me walking around the pit area that people wanted to, you know, like they wanted to know why I wasn't racing. Um, and kind of like at that point, there'd been a lot of talk about James going to LNM, me not staying at LNM. So it was kind of like a, what I would call a headline news, um, in our sport and, one of the questions she asked was like basically what's going on and i'm like oh i'm not sure at this point i have no job haven't signed anything and like in the litigation it was basically like they were basically saying that i was admitting that i wasn't part of lnm and i'm like no that's not how it was you know yeah. and it's like but this is what you said and like it wasn't it wasn't a video like we didn't get to watch the video and, and yeah. actually hear the conversation it was literally all it had was my call. words me yeah. it was a quote of me saying that i was not you know, like at that point I was unemployed. I hadn't signed a new contract and I was unsure what I was doing. And I just couldn't do anything but laugh because it was just ridiculous. And it was funny. And my lawyer ended up going, okay, just let it go. You know? And I'm like, no, it didn't happen like that. That's you're wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I just kept going back at the lawyer. And, and at that point it was a game and funny. And, but yeah, like at the end of the day, I learned a lot. I learned that I think conversation Adult conversations are, are far more uh, productive than you know than than letting sometimes your your emotions and 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 not, not even my own emotions at that point. I think that at that point you you know you're relying heavily on your your agent and your people around you, and when they're invested and their emotions are running high, everything just seems like it spirals out of control. And I think that me picking up the phone and talking to Mike Craniac, the um, the real team owner at that point. Um, the money guy, I, I think that him and I could have figured the thing out. I think him and I could have came to an agreement that was far better than him spending money on lawyers, me spending money on lawyers. And at the end of the day, everybody ended up pissed off at each other. So, um, one of those life lessons, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, Did you and Larry yeah. ever bury the hatchet? You and Larry Brooks or no, you guys still, I would say that, uh, there wasn't a coming together of like Larry and I burying it, but when did I and I think it was actually when I was at Suzuki with JGR and I think Larry was um amateur Larry, Larry. was doing yeah. the Suzuki thing with and I think he still does that mm -hmm. um anyway I think that we ended up at a signing or we did something and normally I would be kind of like avoid the guy don't talk to him and I was just like at this point I just want to move on you know like and we we talked we had conversation a great conversation like nothing ever happened 
Um, I have a lot of respect for Larry. I think he's crazy. Um, <laughs> but, but I love, like, a lot of he's crazy I love. He's got a lot of passion, which seems like, like it would fit you. He's crazy. He shouldn't really be looked at as just crazy because because it's just passion sometimes. Yeah. Um, I would put him in the Tony Alessi category in the fact that sometimes sure. you've got to love and respect what he does. Um because the passion is so high yeah and i probably come across as crazy or ridiculous in some cases because my passion's that high too in it and so i i I actually really like him i hate what happened to us and i and i think it was the wrong thing to do and i think that you you have to be adult and i think that i had as big of a role in it as he did it always takes two to tango um and i think that both of us being as passionate as we each are um it was just we went against each other and you know we were just doing this rather than you know sitting down like adults and at that point geez i'm 20 what am i 24 25 years old you're not really an adult you're pretty stupid at that point you're getting paid a ridiculous amount of money you think you earn you 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 know you want more always and yeah, you, you're young and dumb. If if you ever need to raise money, I think we should do a, a cage match of Rhino, Tony Alessi, and you, and get you guys fired <laughs> up about something. Those are like the three most passionate guys about it, you know. That would be fun, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we're jumping back into 2-2. Um, we talked a little bit about how that, how that came together, but talk about that first season with, with them. What what was What was more difficult than you thought? Um, what was easier, what was better, what was worse? I know it's a lot of questions. Um, just take me through that first season. What comes to mind is it was all like, it's funny because when you hear certain people's perspective on it and then my perspective on it as the owner and the one kind of like responsible and the one that's going to take the biggest hit if it all goes bad, mm. um, i delegated you know like we quickly made decisions and and belray belray was the first company that came in they committed at a, at a very high level and i'm like at this point this is this is doable this is sustainable it's a big enough paycheck to pay the bills and and get the personnel the semi all these kinds of things so once we got that commitment it was kind of like just boom 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 Everybody I hired, I felt like had a, uh, you know, Devo. Devo was, he's just a guy that you give him a laundry list of things and he is going to get that done. And you don't have to hold the dude's hand. You don't have to tell him, hey, did you do this, this, and this? It is, you actually have to tell him, okay, Devo, go easy on this guy. I understand (laughs) you don't have an answer yet, but don't kill him. Don't, Don't yell at him. Don't mother up him. Let's, you know, pump, you almost have to pump his brakes a little bit. And I just, I love Devo. Like I, if I started a team and it made sense, which it just doesn't at this point in my life and where I live and whatever, but like I would hire him, like why he doesn't have a job in the industry is he, I would put him in that category of that. You want to have a fight with me, Rhino, Tony Alessi and Larry Brooks. I'd put Devo in there Um, because the guy just has passion. He loves the sport. He loves his job and being delegated and living up to that part of it. Um, and then you add in like there was Lars, um, geez, who was on Dougie fresh was there. I got him from Suzuki. Um, so it was just kind of like a group of people that I felt, uh, it's always funny to me, you know, like Lars was just, uh, basically a, a practice bike or a test guy that would basically just drive the ticks, you know, the, the Honda box man around. Um, I went and did a test, uh, 
prior to going to Australia in typical Honda, you have to go through all these things and had to have Lars out there. He had to let me into the track to let me ride the track. I don't remember. Maybe he loaned me a stock bike and then uh, Bones came with some suspension and we, we basically did some suspension testing. And um, anyway, I, I seen something in Lars. I seen that he was motivated at that point, um, seeing that he was more than just a, a practice bike guy and, and, and a box van driver. Um, so yeah, I, I, he was my, my first choice of mechanics. Um, and so we just built this, you know, group of people that were just go getters, you know, in, in, in every individual, I felt that I hired could do and handle their said position on the, in the team. And that just allowed me to, you know, go get a new trainer. I moved, um, I moved to Santa Barbara. I was living there for three months. Um, and I just went full steam ahead on, on going all in on it. And so, you know, like it was a rough start in the, I shouldn't say it was a rough start. I think I was fifth or sixth at the first race. Um, but we, I didn't really finish like where I wanted to. Um, but yeah, like one, you know, week after week we learned, um, you know, get was really new back then. Uh, fuel injection was quite new. So we were learning a lot about, you know, ignition, um, you know, making the bike run the way it needed to run suspension settings, all those things that you, you kind of get in a window at testing and you get all happy and then you go racing and there's always, always something that shows up and you're like, you know, like we were having this really weird, uh, you know, situation where the bike would just, it wouldn't bog, but it would just give it a little hiccup and it would scare the crap out of me. Mm. Um, you know, and that was like kind of like early generation when we started looking at data and everything like that. So then we would, you know, we were spending long, long nights at Mitch's dyno and trying to get it to replicate. Of course, you can't get it to replicate. So then they think you're crazy. Um, you know, all these things. But, you know, one thing after another, it all started to come and fall into place. Um, you know, Honda, I was struggling with the front end, getting the thing to turn. I think stock or something back then was like 22 offset clamps. Um, I want to say that Mitch couldn't build or Mitch, we were going to have Mitch build 22 clamps, but I wanted Mitch, I wanted to try him. And so we got Honda to allow me to try the 20, uh, their 20, uh, 20 miller offset clamp. And of course it's light years different. It needs 18 different parts to just go with the clamp and it's so much better. And I'm immediately like, and, and not because the 20 offset, just their clamp, their races, their stem yeah. are just amazing. <laughs> And so, you know, I think that they witnessed the, you know, the, what would I say? Like the increase in how much more comfortable I was riding. You talking about pro and circuit or Honda? Who I'm was talking there? about Honda. Okay. Yeah. Honda. So Honda basically was like, Hey, we'll make these available. And then honestly, like I got podium the next weekend in, uh, in Oakland. And then I won the weekend after that. And from then on, you know, little pieces and little parts started yeah. to flow from Honda. Funny how that um, works, right? It is funny how that works, but it was, you know, I, I can honestly say that I earned my, you know, yeah. everything. I, it wasn't like I ever came in and just was like, Hey, I'm a past supercars champ. I want this, yeah. this, and this, because that conversation happened and it just got shut down right away. <laughs> and so, you know, I had to earn it. I had to, you know, ride myself into it. I, I had to earn their trust. Um, yeah. I think having, Lars on the team helped a lot because they trusted Lars. Um, so it wasn't just me that they had to deal with. It was actually more 
okay, you deal with me, but Lars is really in control of it, and you trust Lars, and, you know, kind of one thing led to another. We got more parts. Suddenly, we were working there, and, yeah, then one thing led to another. I ended the season on the factory bike. Um, what year what I would was, add that? To that was that? Was that 2010? Yeah, 2011. 2011, okay. Um, yeah, so I finished... I finished second in the championship. I think I was four points short of Villa. Um, and really, it all just comes down to not getting the job done. You know, like it was my fault. Um, I have some were mine, some were, you know, James and I, you know, James got out of control, took me out in, uh, where was that, Dallas, um, exiting the whoops. Um, you know, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, got taken out. And then, you know, I think I don't even know where I finished that race. But, um at the end of the day, I didn't win the races when I needed to win the races. You know, there was one race that stands out to me, uh, was two races, Toronto supercross. I sat on Dunge the whole way, honestly felt like I needed to be, you know, a little bit more of a dick and, and go after it and rough him up a bit, um, and win the race. Um, and same in, uh, Jacksonville, I was on Canard the whole time. Um, felt like I should have won and didn't just was too nice. Um, so like, you know, those two wins put you, you know, in contention to win the championship. Um, cause I, I always believe that it's, it, you gotta look at yourself and blame yourself, you know, like, yeah, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but sometimes that's, you know, that's your fault too. So is that, um, is that one of the championships you had mentioned earlier where you felt like you had a few that were just, they were in your grasp and it just didn't happen that that season, probably one of them. Yeah. I don't know that that would be one that I would put in the category of it got away from me because I think that as a new team owner coming off of the year that I had in 2010, did I really believe, or did everyone believe that I was going to turn it around and become a Supercross champ the next year? Probably not as a, you know, being nothing but a factory rider. And then suddenly I'm going to run a privateer effort on my own. I, you know, I think that you have to be real. Um, I mean, yeah, I believe that I could win races and I could come back and contend, but I also respected that there was going to be a process to it. Um, I would say, you know, the years that got away from me are 2012, 2014, um, 2006, just really not good enough to get the job done. Um, what else? You know, 2005, I wouldn't put 2005 in the category. R Ricky had us covered the whole time. Yamaha. 252 stroke with aluminum frame just didn't didn't ever gel with it well with it um but yeah those ones for sure for me like are ones that stick out you know getting hurt in 2011 and, i mean 12 and 14 um those two titles i think that we had a solid shot at those um what i would say and add to 2-2 is starting 2-2 was honestly easy everything went pretty smooth everything but it's when you get there and then you achieve the goal of winning races, contending for the championship. 2011, when you look at it, the, the, the learning curve and our trajectory was just straight up, you know? And at some point, it has to level out, which as at our level, a level out feels like you're just yeah. diving back to the bottom. Um, and so we were just like, it was success, you know, building success, building, we were getting better, we were getting better. And, you know, like, and everything was building, you know, like the brand was building, you know, shift was building, you know, Fox was putting a lot of effort into it. And so we just had a lot of momentum. So then how do you now finish, you know, second in the championship in Supercross should have won the outdoor championship, but still to this day, don't know how I crashed at Millville and ended up the way I did, but that crash happened. And then just, 
mentally I was just ruined. It wasn't really an injury thing at all. You know, like I was totally fine. Just mentally I wasn't able to get myself back into the position of like being strong. And I, I think, it, you know, looking back, I would have loved to have figured that part out and acknowledged that there was a real mental issue rather than, you know, because after that race, everything just felt wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I couldn't find speed. I didn't feel good on the bike. Um, and I just struggled and it took me a long time. It really, it took me all the way through to donations, yeah. um, to feel good again. And I won the first moto at donations that year, but, um, I always wanted to ask you that cause it did seem like I always use the analogy. I of mean, of course I got like, I was tweaked and I had some bumps and bruises and whatever, but nothing that should have, yeah. you know, like I should have been able to go to the next race and go <laughs> three, three. Um, but I think I was like outside top five. Hmm. um at washugal and it's just like the feeling wasn't there you know like it, it was kind of like that the movies of like the talladega nights or even uh <laughs> was even that a Daytona, spaceship that know, just like, went past me <laughs> right and or the you know the days of thunder where you know he comes back after the big crashes and he just doesn't have it and he blows the engine or whatever and it's just like it's that moment where you're out there and you're just like the pace feels faster than what it is and the bike just feels all wrong and 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 it just you you have to acknowledge at this point you know like it was just mental you just yeah it wasn't a crash like where i was like where you could go i did this wrong like i actually don't know what i did wrong you I've still don't know what happened and over and over and it's like of course i can see that it just it hit something right it, i mean it, it visibly looks like there was a hole there that wasn't visible or whatever but it's still to this day i can honestly say like i didn't do anything that I would change or do differently. It just was one of those things, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so that it, it wore on me for a long, long like a long time. Um, and then uh, I think RV went and won the title. Um, you know, but so then you got all that momentum. Now you got to go, okay, now we need more sponsorship because I want to add this, this, and this, because throughout the year, you find out your weaknesses and your strengths. We, we, we then signed a two year you know, contract with Honda. We moved into the Honda workshop. Um, so like all these things were happening. It was really positive, but how do you, you know, how do you now fill in the gaps and the blanks that, you know, of the holes that you think that you have, um, you know, like when you have like a basically 12 months of data under you where you're like, okay, we, we lack here and we lack here. Let's figure out how we could do that. And unfortunately at the racing level, that takes money and that takes money and it's mm. just, okay, so now our budget was this, but we really need it to be this. And so you're finding sponsors and, and I would say year two was the challenge. And then it got harder and harder after that because it, it was, how do you sustain it? And then how do you grow? And then how do you make, how do I, at what point do I take, I'm the athlete, but I'm also the owner, the businessman. How do I turn this into really just being the businessman, but then the athlete that makes the money too. And it was really, really challenging to do that because it was always such a, the two, two brand was so unbelievably strong, but unfortunately it was only strong when the monkey on the handlebars was doing his job and doing sure. things that, that I needed to do. It was, everything so it was, was on your shoulders at that point. That was what wore on me. It was like, at no point was it the, the work of the team or anything like that. It was really just, it was the athlete side of it that got to me and, and that got too much. And then, you know, like 2012, we were winning races, uh, contending for the championship, had the red plate, you know, um, then I think I was like two points out of the championship going in and, uh, and then we crashed in Dallas and then everything falls apart. Right. I'm out for the next, you know, I'm out for the rest of the season outdoors as well. Yeah. So then you got bell Ray questioning, 
Bell Ray wanting to change contracts. So now you've got this massive commitment of, of said sponsor that they're wanting to cut it in half. And if you don't put a rider on, but what they don't understand is to put the rider on also cost said amount of money, but you want to cut me half. It doesn't make any sense. So then it just, that's when you start to find the holes of yeah. the sport in general, just the sport and how it's, how it is and how it's, you know, it's unsustainable. You know, we had, we had a few sponsors that were, uh, really well paying sponsors that were, you know, some of them didn't really work out because of, of the, the shortcomings of the sport. You know, we had the camera deal. We had, there was a couple other things where they had exclusive deals with, uh, with foul oh, yeah. and also MX sports. And so now you've got, you know, almost a half million dollars in sponsorship that you have to say, yeah, no, nah, sorry. I, I want your half million dollars, but I really can only just put a sticker on my helmet and on the truck because they won't let me show the product. You yeah. know, even if it's a fake product, they still won't let you. And this is the shortcomings of the sport. This yeah. is why, this is why a tutu motorsport goes away. This is why RCH goes away. This is why JGR is struggling. Um, this is why it's unsustainable to have, you know, well, these Geico Honda's not going to be Geico anymore. Like, we're what are they going to do? See, we're about to see some real, real struggles at Geico. You know, Geico has been, I would say, one of the best teams as far as funding and having great sponsorship from their beginning. You know, going yeah. back to the Rocco days, to the Wyndham days, they just have done great at doing a good job of having good, solid sponsors, you know. And I. I'm nervous for those guys to have and lose, uh, you know, Geico. So. I think we, there's a few people that's, nervous that's at what the I moment. Would say about, yeah, that's what I would say about 2-2 is just, it would be, it was so awesome. I would run a team in a second with somebody else's money. Uh, <laughs> I would love that. Like, you know, just, it, it was so fun. Like, I love, my favorite thing about the team would was just, was dealing with the personalities and the different personalities. And it's like, you know, when you're on the road and you spend as much time as the moto community does around each other, you're, you're essentially dealing with brother and sister bitchy fights, you know? And it's like, this guy says this and this guy says this. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're, you're kind of like playing dad and you're like, you got to put the fire out over here. And some, you know, this guy's not really living up to what he really should. So then you got to light the fire. And I found that really fun, uh, to do. And, I miss I miss that part of it. Would you miss that? Would you move to California to do that? If you that, had a good job a, offer, would you move? That's a current problem. I actually have <laughs> a few options um, to move and step into some some great roles. Um, but I don't have any. I mean, I'm not like a, right, especially in the in the world we're living in right now. I have zero desire to want to get on a plane and move my family to California. Um, I love California. I would move to Newport Beach, Newport Coast in a second. Um, but it doesn't seem like a fun place for my... But, you know, it's always that double-edged sword. You know, I think that what you do and how you create your children is how it is. But them living on the in the OC, do I want them to have that lifestyle? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, currently I've turn down some options you was, know, because was, I'm not ready to move to California. I was going to say, I know of two team managers who are done after this year mm -hmm. with good teams kind of giving you team. what you want. I don't know if we're yeah. thinking of the same ones, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd move out here right now either, no matter what the deal was. It's I know such at a, least one of them. So yeah. Uh, well, 
just to add yeah. to your point, you know, you talked about the team and that, and that was one of the things from the outside I always thought would always become an issue. If you go look at McGrath's team, yeah, it was a great team. They would look professional. They had good sponsors, but it revolves around Jeremy. You take Jeremy out, there is no real mm. team. Well, look, yeah, look how short, like, as soon as you took Jeremy out, exactly. look at it. And that's, like, he that had the was Bud the Light for sponsorship. You. you know, he had the Bud Light sponsorship, and that Bud Light sponsorship didn't even last the end of the, the retirement tour. You know, like, they, you know, the bike went from Bud Light to Hot Wheels real quick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Light bailed on it, and um, it's just, yeah, that's the, the downside to a rider-owned team is that your the, the product you're selling is you exactly and so everything you commit to is you and everybody has faith in you but as soon as you turn that off it's really really challenging and, and i get a kick out of people coming to me and obviously my current relationship with mountain motorsport everybody sees an opportunity right mountain motorsport they're spending money in the sport how do we get into mountain motorsport? And everybody wants a piece of it right now. And so they're all like, Hey, why don't we start a team? I'm like, well, what do you bring? You know, because I can run a team as Chad Reed for a set amount of budget. But if you want me to run your team, it's twice that. Yeah. Because I'm no longer the piece of the, you know, cause I can leverage everything. I can leverage my bike deal, my, you know, my bonuses. I can, le I can leverage my, you know, my gear deals, my goggle, like everything kind of becomes this piece of the pie that, you know, said piece of pie is this big and then you can kind of cover it. And it's a passion project because it's not making money. Um, it makes money in, in the fact that you get to pay the bills, but at the end of the day, it's not like I go and get rich from it. Right. Um, so people don't understand that part of it. And, and it's, that's, what's challenging is just the, the sustainability of doing it when when you're when you're not the monkey on the handlebars. So let me ask you this, because one of the concerns, and I get that it's different when you're the owner and you're the rider. But I look at Geico, I look at um, even Chaparral, I look at uh, what was the team that Wardy ran? Um, yeah, you the know, Cowie team. Uh, There's been several teams that you think, okay, these guys are solid guys. They got a great team, good personnel. They last two or three years, and they're out. Uh, JGR. I mean, I'm sweating bullets, hoping they can pull something together. And Kerry talked a little bit about, about this when he was on the show. You know, the fact that they were cropping in on the podium, so you couldn't see Dodge, and you couldn't see Jimmy John's, or, or uh, whatever it was. That, or yeah, it went against the sponsors of the series, so of course they're saying... Which, which goes time. back to the comment, you know, it's just an extension of the conversation where I'm like, you when you, when you got a Ricky Carmichael and a Kerry Hart, you know, running a team, you, you try to take care of that team. In my opinion, you would think that is, it's healthy to have Ricky Carmichael and Kerry Hart yeah. in our sport. It is healthy to have JGR and Tutu Motorsports in our sport. I, I truly believe that, you know, take, even if you want to take me out of it in this conversation, but those teams are healthy you know, they're different, who into, who they stand for as individuals and the name behind it. I just think it's healthy to have them. Absolutely. And so when you, you know, Kerry's just, you know, scratching the surface because he dealt with it for years and years and years. It's like he, look what happened. They went and, you know, RCH went from guiding and talking about how ridiculously big their budget was and their sponsorship money to zero. Yeah. In a matter of second, a matter of half a year, 
And it's not like they weren't just, getting results either. They won the championship with K Rock. Yeah. So yeah, and then and then you know you and then K Rock leaves. Um, and then but look look at the sustainability when K Rock left. You know. Yeah. You know K Rock wasn't technically a part of the team, but you know when you look at the bigger picture and you look at an RCH and then you you know like Ricky, Kerry, and Kenny, two of those people are managed by somebody. And the person bringing the sponsorship are in is also that somebody. Yeah. So then when all that falls apart, it all just goes downhill fast. Um, and it's just unsustainable. And I think it's a, it's a sad part of our sport when, you know, when, when there is like when we're, we're heavily, we're a Toyota sponsored supercross series and Dodge comes in and it's like, you know, that to the point where you couldn't even put the Dodge within the pit area and there was screaming and yelling and the amount of behind the scenes, like that was what was challenging to me is don't worry about what you see from the outside looking in. It's the conversations and the constant just wearing you out. Like as far as like, you know, the positioning of where they put you in the pit area to how they put you yeah. in the pit area, to how they let you do what you need to do in the pit area. And I would say that Kerry um, and, you know, Kenny Watson in particular, the constant fighting for, you know, for what's right for you, but then just that constant going at each other uh, within the sport, I think just wears you out. Yeah, And that's absolutely. where I was just like, I'm done, you know, like, it's not that I hate the, the team and it's not anything. It's just, dude, I'm over it. I'm worked from just the constant battling yeah. MX sports What's and politics sport, you know, well, the politics. Well, of it. I mean, that's the one thing that I always respected, at least with NASCAR, you know, when I moved to the States, you know, I, I, I used to be a little bit baffled how it was so big, but when you, when you went to an event, you realize they they knew one thing, and that was we got to market the shit out of all these sponsors, and whether it was Chevy or Toyota or Dodge or Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, it didn't matter. They all got their fair share, their their bite at the apple. And if Coors Light happened to be the sponsor of that event, it was known it was a sponsor of the event. But if the Bud Light driver was leading, they still got mentioned and their TV time keep the sponsors around yeah. and i think that's one of the issues we have one our bikes it's hard to get all the advertising on tv because you got that much room and they're coming by pretty quick so when a guy eventually is on the podium you would hope that they would have a chance to get their their, their logo yeah, seen our, and sport mentioned. Is, our sport's so podium driven you know um which is why i think our sport never grows is because you know how would i say it like if you're not on the podium, no one even knows who your sponsor is. The podium, the podium interviews and the podium conversation <laughs> is is so 1980s mom and yeah. dad at the amateur level. Um, well, like they I just replaced laugh. mom like and when, dad with the, with, the, with the team name. With, I want to thank yeah, mom and dad. You know, like basically, you know, and, and when sponsors start implementing fines and things like that for not saying it, it's like dude that's giving you a free truck now once his name set on the podium otherwise you get your balls busted and it's like in the big scheme of thing that free truck ain't shit you know like, it's just funny. Bucks a but, but you know it's that's what it is and it's like nascar does a great job of doing the interview and answering the questions with getting certain sponsors their love they you don't have to like i mean I'm trying to think of a sponsor that really, you know, like a, a Dunlop tire, 
dude, you got Dunlop, you got Mo- even Monster Energy, like or Red Bull. It's like it's it's massive on your hat. <laughs> it's massive here. Like the viewer understands that you're Red Bull, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's where I just think that there's got to be a there has to be a change, and the change has to be far bigger than than you know just said you know said individual or whatever. It needs to be a big overhaul of of it is, and it's like you bring in a sponsor. I mean, I have. You know, look at Discount Tire. It was such an amazing sponsor. I would love to represent them. Great company. Um, you know, they're still spending money in Supercross, and it's like Supercross basically gave them a better deal than what we could. You know, mm. it's just that's how it works. I, you know, a lot that, of those sponsors, they the, can, you know, yeah, the they problem. Can help them. They want to steal your money away from you rather than helping you. Right. Like in my opinion, you know that. They're a business too, and I respect that. But at some point, you, you have to realize that it's got to be sustainable for these sponsors. And say there's a piece of the pie. Don't try to take, you know, half or more of the pie. Just take a little bit. You know, just be happy. If you take a little, 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 then your you, your pie will get bigger. The pie too. gets it's bigger, fine, right? You know, but don't try. If if you take such a huge part of this pie, well, then na- now that pie is just going to go away. Yeah. You know. And and that's what I think you've seen with Tutu and and, and RCH in, in the particular. And, and the way I would describe it is Feld and MX Sports, they they do what I, what I call they they squeeze the puppy too tight. You know they they got this thing and they're like they don't want to let anyone hold it or you know what I'm saying. And it's like let let teams sell merchandise in the pits. Why why does that hurt you when they're up on the podium? You know, damn it, let them see the Dodge logo so that. Dodge is pumped and they stay involved and engaged. Yeah, that's more money for the sport. Like or, they or don't you, see that bigger know, picture. It feels like because the big scheme of things also is these manufacturers. The manufacturers, I always say it, and 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 I think that running my own team and doing it like and seeing the sport and all the different directions that I've seen it in my, you know, thirty plus years of being in, involved. Uh, I blame the teams. Like the manufacturers, every manufacturer is to blame of our current situation of how out everything you want to complain about i don't believe you can hold mx sports and feld motorsport accountable you can't because they are running a business and their business is to make money run a supercross or motocross series right this the the manufacturers are not ran by smart individuals business orientated individuals that know the bigger picture and in, and until they stand up and say no this is what we want. This is how we're going to do it. And that's when we're going to bring these monkeys to put on the show and perform in front of said amount of people until they all get together, which will never, ever happen. <laughs> I don't believe you see motocross and supercross grow any bigger than it currently is. Yeah. I think it already maxed out in the early 2000s. But I just yeah. that's just my opinion. And that is why I don't have a burning desire to run a race team or do anything terribly huge within the in the industry because it just doesn't there's no growth there's no nobody standing up and being accountable and saying guys guys like you know like like you like you just simply said like you know why not give these teams and let them run their own merchandise i can promise you you could open that up and nobody nobody would no manufacturer not teams because teams would take advantage of it no current manufacturer would take advantage of that and run it because that takes personnel. It takes money. It takes thought. It takes planning. 
It takes buying a merchandise rig. It's, you know, you got to spend money to make money. I don't believe that it ever happens. You know, that's just, you know, like, and, and when you talk about a JGR and RCH, a 2-2, they see the different picture. They see a bigger picture. They, they're creative. And when you start getting creative, you're just met with nothing but walls and walls and nobody has your back. And I've been in all those conversations. I've been in all those manager meetings and it's just an, a waste of time. It is pathetic. And that is the situation we have. And it's the hard truth. And I hate talking shit about an industry that I love and I have so much passion for, but it just, it won't get any bigger. It just won't grow until somebody puts their foot down and says, hold on a second. We're going to do it this way and i and, and until that happens i think what you there, see is what you get well, there's very don't you think that this could be let's just say with 2020 being the crazy year it is teams on on the fence of whether they'll be able to come back there's a lot of this might be one of those perfect storms where they, that opportunity comes where people do sit down it, it only takes I would agree to four or five intelligent people to get together unfortunately the teams in jeopardy are always the ones that don't really count they don't really have much of a say in this whole yeah like 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 i mean truthfully tell me who like tell me that ktm husky cowie honda yamaha yamaha's gonna switch up and change anyway but like tell me that those teams are really in that big of trouble that they're gonna make changes do they're you, not do they're you not, believe that no because they've got and so their sales are up right being, now without them being in trouble do we change well, the thing is, they think that Mitch. You don't. You think Mitch changes the sport? Do you think Geico changes the sport? Do you think JGR changes the sport? You got a super fan behind yeah, you. Yeah, Ellie's waving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and that's and that's and and that's where you, you're you're right in the sense that the manufacturers are doing okay. There's no need for them to upset the apple cart. What's been happening has sort of worked. Think about it. And I'm sure you guys hear the same rumblings that I do, but it really sounds like the only ones on the fence and potentially not excited about what's happening is Cowie is all I hear, you know, but sounds like Cowie's like, Oh, we should do this. We should do that. But it's all, it's all, you know, talks cheap. Right. So uh, the only way, in my opinion, that change ever happens is there's got to be a leader to get, to go in and it's, it won't be easy. It'll be a lot. <laughs> I'm, out. I'm out. You're not that guy. On this. I would love to be that guy, but I think I'm out. <laughs> I mean, you, you will be blackballed from the events. Oh, yeah. You'll be yeah, yeah. frustrated yeah. to no end with teams saying they're going to do it and then pulling out. But it will take somebody that everyone likes, like a you or a you know, Wyndham maybe would have been good. Canard would have been good. I think they would we probably tell you the to, same yeah. thing. Canard <laughs> doesn't have the personality, I think he's, too, he's, I he's think. Too, too nice for too that nice. spot. Yeah. I yeah, think Haydup couldn't be bothered. I don't think he has enough life experiences of how the real world yeah. happens and that is something that you're you're very sheltered and i was guilty of it until running my teams and seeing all the shapes and sizes that happen behind closed doors and all the things and thing you know like the restrictions that you really have um you know and i think that that's maybe a a, a small part of what dungy got to experience when he was a part of geico you know it's easy to come in and want to influence and say, hey, this worked for me. Let's do this, this, and this. But then, you know, said money guy, you know, my shack says, well, we've got all this here. 
why would we want to do this, this, and this? And, you know, um, when the pie isn't getting any bigger and, and I just think that maybe Dunge got a real reality check on what's, you know, what the, what the world's like outside of your, your factory multi-million dollar contract. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit, if he's out, I mean, that doesn't leave a lot of hope for the sport. <laughs> if a guy out, like you won't take the love, reins. love, love, love that position. I think I could build a great team. I have this conversation many, many times with some really smart people. Um, I would say, and I would hate to see it happen, but I think, the, the you know, one of the better things that could happen, and I'm hearing rumbles that is not kosher um but i think that you, you need to take on it and like the sport and to change it you know like where feld entertainment isn't doing great or feld motorsport ain't doing great and this position puts them in a vulnerable position now they want to off supercross to somebody it'd be great to be in that position to take that you know yeah find some investors part of that group and because you need to do it you you've know? seen that because in other sports retired because then you could, retired you could, you could imp- then or... you could implement then you could, I think you could implement a lot of things, you know, and, and because at the end of the day, Feld makes the rules, you know, the AMA is just a puppet. They just yeah. do what they're told. Uh, Feld makes the rules. Um, so as a, as the owner of, you know, said company, if you came in and ran it and you really wanted to make a difference, I think that you, you basically come in and say, Hey, I want to do this, this and this. And everybody goes along and does what they want to do and more does what they have to do because that's what they do. Well, you know, that's, that's not unlikely at all. How many times has the series been sold it's, just since you've been here? I mean, correct. And, and, you know, and like I said, I would hate to see it because I think Feld does a great job, um, in that, but I mean, geez, man, when you think of the world right now being turned off, there probably ain't a business or a company hurting more than them. And the fact that they are alive, yeah. driven, oh, live, na- live nations also hurting, you know? <laughs> so it just, yeah. Like, you know, like obviously we all hear that, you know, there's, a lot of people that got, you know, lost their jobs and, you know, we're kind of learning that they lose their jobs, but how often can, you know, you can't take months off until we rebuild and then come back. I mean, those people are only going to go back and come and go back and come and get, you know, so often, but it's, I mean, it's crazy. Like that part of it is why I don't think Supercross happens in January. Interesting. Well, so to go back to 2011, you did win the Brett Michaels rock hard, ride hard award. (laughs) <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I have a was that any consolation <laughs> i have a i had maybe there was some money maybe it was like 25 grand or something like that i don't remember actually um so one hand i got of, a guitar one hand of blackjack and uh yeah <laughs> it was right <laughs> <laughs> in a heyday we, yeah. we were pretty good at that game at least one night we'll get at it yeah oh geez if only the world was there that night uh, I was to barely see there Chelsea, that night to see to see uh, Chelsea and Ellie's face at ten thirty in the morning when they found us at the table still. <laughs> I just remember being oh, removed geez. by my ear. So yeah. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I just went. No, stop. There's a lot of money here. This is we're doing good. We're alive. We're <laughs> we're actually sobering up. We're good. <laughs> yeah, that was but, a blur. Uh, that was I a fun say, blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But good times. All right, so. Um, 2012, that was a great season for you. Um, just going back and looking through up until you had uh, your crash. Yeah, up until getting hurt. Yeah. yeah. Good, good season. I mean, like I, you know, you always talk about bikes and you reminisce about this bike did this and how good this bike was. Like my 2012, you know, factory Honda, 
I would confidently, and I would love, I'd love to build it. Like I would love to have it. I would, I would put that bike against any current bike, all of them, not just, you know, singling one of them out. And I just, it just did things right. You know, it, it stopped, it turned, the engine was good. And you always had that like, oh yeah, it was that amazing. And it would be fun to ride it again and go, oh yeah, now maybe it's not as good as I remember or whatever, but just, it was stable. It turned on a dime. It was light, you know, like I think it was like in the, in the kind of like the low to mid two twenties. Um, you know, now you look at a factory Honda and it's in the high to low to, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, high two twenties to low two thirties. Um, if you're lucky. And, and so just, man, just badass. I don't yeah. know what was so good about it, to be honest with you. We just, what was it? It was its third year of that generation. So, you know, so you'd, you'd maxed out kind of everything, you know, cause well, that it would have been bike, the fourth year. It was, it was new in 09. So it'd be nine, so 10, that, 11, Yeah, it 12. was. You're right. Yeah. So that particular bike, remember everybody hated it in 09 yeah. and it was just kind of like tweaking on it, you know, cause it was a huge, it was a huge shift away from where the bike was, you know, it was really like the 09 Honda is really the generation of where everything's at now, as far as like getting the bike short, flat, you know, a lot of weight on the, what lot of weight on the front, you know, the ergonomics of them being really flat. Um, Honda was the one that, that really changed that, that way of thinking. And really everyone's just going that direction and stayed in that direction. Um, so I think that it was so different that it took a long time for like, I think it was Davey and Shorty at that point. And I think it, maybe I've been to Um, maybe Shorty wasn't even there yet. Maybe Shorty was, I'm not sure. Um, but those three guys kind of struggled, you know, like openly were, were struggling and, and kind of like towards the end of Oh nine, they brought Dave Arnold back. You know, they went a little bit different direction and already like by 2011, the bike was freaking awesome. And we just basically tweaked 11 into 12. Um, and I just loved it. I loved it. It was awesome. So mm. I, you know, we started with a full head of steam. I didn't even know where I was at the first race, first or second. Uh, I was second, maybe second or third. Um, but yeah, it was a good, good, good bike, good engine, good weight. It was awesome. We fought a lot with that bike in 2010 with Townley. Remember, mm -hmm. he came over and rode for us, and he had great rides that summer. In fact, shit, at Redbud. I think you guys had a battle down to the last lap for the win in the second yeah, moto. I think we did. Yeah, we did. I think you're right. I was second, maybe even. I think JG actually won the moto, and I think me and, me and Ben was second and third or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just probably fighting bike. the same like, things. Though. A long way. A little stink bug and <laughs> yeah, some like issues we, like that. We changed the bike. Like, obviously, I know what was changed, and it was so drastic. Um, you know, so... So though we figured it out, I don't know that the production bike was necessarily much different than the nine bike. And, you know, what the, at that point, you know, like Troy Lee Honda wasn't getting what we were getting, you know, they didn't have access to what we had access to. Um, but like, yeah, Dave Arnold made a huge, huge, uh, con you know, contribution to that bike um, in the way that geometry and we changed everything up. Um, it was really I didn't know, badass. I didn't know Dave went back to Honda that year. I don't know that he ever went back back to Honda. He just, oh, he just kind of uh, contracted he, to help. It was yeah. I think he just was brought in and mm. and was was able to help. But I know that uh, yeah. When did I go there? I went there in eleven. So he, I think it was like nine and ten was what he implemented. And then I really only undone one thing. They they went back to a 
the 08 swing arm, which was really, really short, 15 millimeter shorter than the production 09 um, thing. And for me, it did some things really, really good, but it just was really unstable. Hmm. Um, and yeah. so I, I was the only, really the biggest difference I changed from when I got on the factory bike was I went to the, to the original or the normal, uh, year, uh, 15 millimeter longer as swing arm. And then, uh, and then of course, normal and typical at moto as soon as i went to it everybody else went to it and we were all on that bike so um yeah it was, it was awesome i'd love to build that bike up like i wish i would i would love to know if honda still has like that engine around and and things like that I obviously that, that generation and that bike is so far removed from what's currently happening maybe they'd be willing to you know give up an engine or something like that That'd be well, cool well, i'd be curious to see if it's still as good as you think because i always yeah, say the same thing right? about a suzuki 125 from the year 2000 like that bike to me i couldn't make a mistake on it you know what was awesome but, about uh it's funny because i actually me being me i always said when i got in the ktm because when this generation of ktms which obviously we're into like that second third fourth generation of them already but when they haven't drastically changed since the original one that dunge had the you know whatever dunge's first championship with ktm on supercross um i don't remember what year that was maybe 14 um but since that generation of ktms i've always said i would love to know if this bike was built off of our honda because Shorty was a big part of the testing, I believe. And and when, when Shorty went to KTM, I think he had a bit of an influence on helping and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd be really... Because when you measure front axle to pivot and then pivot to rear wheel, it's identical mm. to what, you know, to what a, uh, you know, a 9 to 12 uh, Honda is. And I've always riding it, like, ergonomically, how you fit on it and ride it. So... That being said, I love my KTM for that reason. You know, like it just stops, it turns, it does all these things. Like whatever the weight distribution is, is and how they have it set up, it it just fits my style and how I like it. Um, so yeah, it's I don't need that Honda. I guess I got the KTM <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Yeah, you uh, look yeah. good on that bike. I remember that. Yeah, you just you know you you often look good, but I think on that bike in particular, you looked like you were just oozing confidence when you rode it. That, that's why even your crash in Dallas was a bit of a surprise because you looked so It was control. a real surprise. And it almost was like, yeah, it was almost like a self-induced crash because I was so confident and I was pushing so hard. And, and it's crazy because it was a, I didn't feel like I was on the limit, but we were close. Like RV and I, like when you think of like, it just me and RV in a, in a matter of seven, eight laps, we dropped Stu, dropped Dunge, yeah. you know, and like at that point, those two were the, the dudes, you know, and we were gone. Mm. And like RV started making mistakes, and I was like, all right, I got him on the ropes. And then next thing, I'm the one that makes a mistake and goes out of it. But yeah, crazy. Like what that happened? was a real. Wasn't there a jump into before some whoops? Just, and then, yeah, it almost it looks like it hit like a bit of a hole or something. Yeah, it was just like kicked. typical. It was typical like that, what is they call it, like a 3-5-3 three, three yep. into the sand. And I don't know that the last three was necessarily a three. It was kind of like a three, but it was made out of sand. It was um, blown and it away. was a sand section. And I think I just came out and I just, I think maybe carried more, just a little more momentum than normal through the turn and seat bounced it. And it just caught me off guard. It just kind of mm. kicked me. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, you I almost wrote anything. it out too. It, it was like I almost it was wrote close. it out because immediately, like you know, like as you you know, you guys are road a lot, and it's like at the level, and it's like you immediately know that it, something went wrong, and you you meet. And so I went the third, you know, I, in the air, I went the third to get the rotating on the wheel to get the thing to come up, and it just just and maybe the fact that it was sand didn't yeah. help me because it just mm-hmm. grabbed me. Um, and then when I went to third, I already I had my foot under it to click it. And then when it like dug me in and then it kind of like the bike, like it flipped me, like it drove me into the ground, but then the bike, I stayed with the bike and then the bike went away and that's what broke, uh, that's what tore my ACL is my foot was under the, okay. um, under the shift lever. And then, so it wasn't like my knee hyperextended or anything like that. It actually did the just pull, separate, you know, like, yeah. and just separate and just snap my ACL and my MCL and PCL. I think it did like a good old job on my knee. I thought your boot yeah. got hung up because when it flips, it yeah, does, a lot it of people thought that ground. because, because yeah, like when I was on the ground, I was still hooked in a little uh. bit and. Um, so I think everyone was like, oh, he got his foot, but it was the fact that I was actually, I shifted the third to get the thing, you know, the wheel rotating faster to try to save the crash, but it didn't, not didn't quite. end well. Damn it. Didn't, didn't get it, didn't get it around. And you know, when you crash and you have certain feeling like at that moment, I was just like, it's done. You heard, you know, like I've had a lot of crashes pop. where you're like, you know, like you have a lot of crashes and you're like, hmm, get back on. And it just like, it was, um, immediately I'm like. I'm not okay. You know, mm. like I knew like my back, I, cause I broke some ribs and some, uh, the little things, the little wings on your, on your spine. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And then, uh, and immediately I'm just like, I'm not good. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, get me, come on. You know, like I'm not, not much of a guy. Yeah. Like fun <laughs> somebody get me. I'm not good. <laughs> ah, that was a bummer. Cause you were on it that year. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. And then, uh, and then kind of like, Obviously, that sucked, but the probably the biggest thing that sucked the more was was later that season we had done a deal with Townley to do uh, to do outdoors. Um, obviously, I was going to miss outdoors, and then so I uh, Ben had gone back to New Zealand, was racing in New Zealand, racing in Australia, and doing really good. And I'm kind of like, man, let's you know, like let's give Ben. Like I obviously I know Ben for forever. I known Ben since I was 14, 13 years old. Um, you know, let's bring Ben back. I think he, I think he tries hard. He works hard. I think he deserves another chance. I think if we give him our team and our people around us and then the bike that I felt was really, really good, um, you know, I think he would have a good shot at like a top three in the championship. Um, and he, and that particular year he had kind of found, I think a pretty good balance with his Honda also, like, although it was production, but his Honda had kind of been tweaked on and really liked it. And he was just going, I think, in my opinion, just ridiculously fast and confident and almost same as what I did is just so confident, so good. And then just like one little mistake and it blew his hip out. I think he broke his hip and, Mm. and things like that. So then, yeah, like two weeks before nationals, he was literally getting on the plane. I begged him actually, I begged him not to go to Australia. I said, dude, because he signed the deal. I'd rented him a house in Florida. Um, and I just said, I said, dude, please. I'm like, cause he didn't have to go to Australia. I'm like, please don't go. Like, just like, you're good. Like winning in Australia is not like, you're not in the big scheme of things. Like it's not going to do anything. And yeah, I'm not, man, I really want to go. I just want to keep whatever. And I'm like, all right. And it's just one of those uh, things where I begged him not to go, but he, he went and as an athlete, you can't argue that if he wants to race, you got to race, you know, race is race. Um, so yeah, it was unfortunate. And then obviously then we didn't go racing at all. Um, 
I didn't replace anybody um, other than Ben. I, I I wanted to put somebody on the bike that I felt was going to be competitive, and unfortunately, no one else at that point in time in the season was was going to be competitive like Ben could. And didn't the year before he went back to Europe because we tried to keep him, but he got an offer for a lot of money in Europe, uh, twenty eleven. I think he went over the road for maybe the Suzuki team, and he had a big no, I crash. Think that, I think Suzuki came after. That, was, that was when Everts was there as well. Was was later because uh, yeah, I want to say that he was 14, there like later. 15. Like I want to like fourteen, fifteen ish or something like that. It was it was quite a. It was after that, um, mm. you know, whenever it was. So anyway, well, so yeah. tell us what happened. Um, Honda didn't want to come back to the table and talk for twenty thirteen. No, Honda was, uh, I, had a, I actually had a contract. Um, the problem was, is the 13 bike was, was just a bike that never, just, I never gelled with it. You know, I couldn't ride it. The weight distribution, the whole, the, everything about it was just nothing like the, the previous model. Um, and I struggled and I think that it kind of like at the same time, air folks were coming in and big part of our sport. And, mm. and so I think oh, that yeah. the bike in general sucked. And then you add an air fork to it, and it really sucked. So then we got rid of the air fork, and it just kind of like, it was one of those things where I was, me and Kevin were the, seemingly the only two struggling on it. Everyone else seemed like they were finding speed and able to ride it. You know, like Barsha wasn't horrendous. Um, Eli was okay. Um, and then Canard was kind of like okay as well. It kind of took almost six to nine months for those guys to start making the comments that we were making right away. Um, and then it was like, then the bike sucked, then it was this, and then it was that. And it was kind of like they started like switching and changing and, you know, all these things. And basically, like one day they kind of closed, like it was an open relationship our race shop, their race shops up by side. And suddenly they put a door, you know, the door closes and then they don't you know, they, they've got this new thing and it was literally, they went back to uh, cable pool clutch and that was the secret. And our team wasn't allowed to know about it. And they showed up at, uh, I want to say it was Washougal supercross. And I just laughed my ass off when I seen that they went back to coke, you know, cable clutch and that was the fix. And I'm just like, this is not okay. You know, like I wanted to be a part of trying to fix it and help them. Um, and it just felt like we went like this rather than working together. We tried multiple different sides and going to this person, that person to try to figure out how do we rally the team together? Um, because it made the most sense for us, like as two, two motorsports, um, like anyone, as a kid, I grew up wanting to be on Hondas, you know? I think that anyone in my generation looked at the, the David Bailey, the Rick Johnson, then on to Jeremy McGrath. Honda was the, the team you wanted to be on, you know? And so to be there and, and actually own the team and then be a big part of in the building on the factory equipment, um, you know, I took that on as being, you know, really proud and, and honored to be a part of the company and, and wanted to be a part of it. But unfortunately, I don't think that they, and I, when I say they, it was more the group of people that they had at that time. All those people are out. Um, you know, and so that that was just a really challenging group of people to work with, and and I honestly just put it down to that is that it just we all clashed. They would promise one thing, never come through with the promise, and then I just me being me, I wasn't okay with people lying and you know trying to 
tell just bullshit really to be honest. Yeah. and uh and so i felt moving forward i could not like at that point i'm what well, i'm 30 31 32 ish so like at that point you're kind of like you feel like every passing day or race is becoming your last or near to it you know retirement's starting to be considered people are starting to say he's 30 plus you know yeah. it's not the bike it's me um so then like a, a, a big part of that and so then i started just wanting to be a little bit more like, as a normal athlete like you think about in the now not next year or two years or or the you know the team's sustainability i only thought about me you know like i knew that i could not ride this motorcycle and perform at the level that i wanted to perform at so i had to make the best decision and as the team owner i could make that decision you know so at that point i was just like i can't do it like i i don't think that i can you know like at this point i feel like i'm going to race one more year and then i'm over it because it's not fun for me hmm. um so that was when i basically rode all the bikes just i was out of contract rode them all um the two bikes i came back to was uh was a cowie and a ktm and i did another back-to-back -back with just them two and i felt that my relationship with mitch um and we were going to take over uh the lnm shop which we were getting on the backside of the, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but the Jeff Ward team, basically. Yeah. Um, so that team had gone, you know, through some real down periods and they'd switch from Yamaha to Cowies. So there was a, a boatload of Kawasaki parts and hot up parts. And Dudley was, you know, Dudley was only just, Dudley was a big part of it and he was leaving and going to KTM. Um, so like I trusted that these parts and these, you know, these things that had been developed, like the people that developed them, I had nothing but respect for. So I'm like, I just think that this is probably the best case scenario. When you think of Kawasaki, I think of Mitch. Um, and then when I look at the race shop that I'm taking over and a lot of the things that are getting left behind, it was all left behind by Dudley. And I was like, and I love that dude and respect him as an engine builder. So I'm like, I think this is the best choice for me. So that was why we did it. Um, and then quickly we turned to Kawasaki into a really good competitive motorcycle um because of the resources that i had and you know when you that's how you do it you know like that's how you run it run something is when you when you're going somewhere you have to look at the resources available to you and how you can because it you don't want it's not a shortcut but how can you go from here to here in the easiest smoothest transition you know? of least resistance and, yeah exactly and and so when you go to cowie and my relationship with mitch and the parts getting left behind i was just like that's that makes sense so we did that uh kawasaki was actually really cool i rented uh ecu factory ecu and hubs that was it that was and then it. everything else was it. and then everything else was our bike um ecu is everything in our sport at this point i believe yeah and then their hubs were just badass so <laughs> we you know we wanted those they were light and stuff like chad that. were you at to this point were you putting any of your own personal money into the team or were you were the you able to fund it completely well, I mean, how do you it's hard to decipher like was i putting my personal money yes but my personal money and the fact that everything you're leveraging is leveraged off of you yeah. you know so let's say i yeah. come up with let's throw a number out there let's say i come up with two million dollars of personal sponsorship well, that term, personal sponsorship, you're leveraging it all through two motorsports. Right. So essentially, 
it's not like Ellie and I get to go take $2 million and put it in our bank account. (laughs) And then, and then we go and get $2 million for 2G motorsports. It just, unfortunately that was the challenge was again, going back to you're the monkey on the handlebars. You're the, you are the prized possession that you're selling. Um, and so it was challenging to constantly be able to, you know, there's the, there's the personal income and the personal life that, you know, cost you X amount to run that. And then you got the race team that cost you to run, you know, so it was really hard and, and challenging to kind of like combine all that. Um, so essentially, yes, the, the yeah. short answer is, yeah, I was losing money. It know? seems like it would be frustrating to know, okay, I raised all this money. Now, whatever I don't have to spend on the team, I get to keep, right? That's my team. That would be my salary. But I want to build but, my team and But make I it want good. this badass team. So it's like, you just watch this and, going and down, having, down, down, And having the passion for the sport that I have. And then like, like what I think, like when I was at Cowie and I, and I, I really, I, I, I really disliked the way the team ran and I, I didn't have, I didn't have any positive things to say about what they did and how they achieved what they were achieving. Um, but I, what I like about is I was willing to go spend the money to do it right because you can't question somebody for doing it this way and then go do it the same way to cut costs or whatever it is, whatever their reasonings. And so I always just went, you know what, this is what it takes to win. We're going to do it. And Ellie would tell you, it just, it sucks because when you want to win and you want to do things, you just do it, you know? And if it costs this much money, you got to raise that much money. And that it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, that's respectable. I don't think a lot of people would gamble on themselves that way. Yeah. And you've kind of, you, we've already talked about that. You've done that your whole career. You're just like, well, (laughs) this is what it costs to have a winning setup. Let's do it. You've always done it the ballsy way. I'll I'll give you that. Like you've basically had to bet on yourself. Yeah, you could say it, (laughs) but I think you bet on yourself to get out of Australia and make it at the world level. I I had to do it to an extent, you know, just make that move. You just learn. Like I, I didn't look back and like, I didn't think negatively of any of it, you know, like I just learning such a, you just learn so much. You see the sport at such a different angle and like I would hate to be like go through it all, be left with set amount of money and like, all right, I'm going to run a team and then learn all that, you know, (laughs) when, you know, I learned a lot of it when it was like, you were utilizing yourself and your sponsors and it's like, did I lose money? Yeah. But it's like, you're in the big scheme of things. You're, you know, it wasn't horrendous. Um, and I, and I feel like as a retired guy now, like I don't have a burning desire to get right in there and spend my own money right this <laughs> sure. second. Um, Can't blame you. you. Know, so, yeah. So I just you learned a lot. You learned a lot about business. Um, you know, like when you're dealing and you're doing your own deals, and you know you're talking, you're talking to big corporations, and and you know you you start because I started to take on more of it. You know, like at first I think that you're just the factory rider. And the contract kind of gets negotiated with your agent and then kind of just, it gets to a certain point. Then you come into the conversation and you just sign the deal and then you go do your job. When you run your own team, you start, you know, when, when you start doing agent deals, agents are really good at just being like, yeah, no, it's fine. We'll just, we'll deal with that. Like just get the money. 
and then we'll deal with the issues and tell them, no, we can't actually do that. <laughs> and I always had the hardest time. I'm like, no, like don't commit me to yeah. that because I can't do that. Like I'm telling you right now what you're asking from me. I'm not okay with doing that. Don't worry about it. Just be, you're okay, Chad, you're going to be fine. And so that was my biggest thing is, is, is kind of like when you, when you are the team and, and, and the team is you, and you're no longer just the athlete and you get this like this padded agent guy that gets to take all the hits. Um, that agent doesn't really get to take the hits when it's your name on the line yeah. As, yeah. A, as a team owner. And so that's where I think that me and my agent kind of went a little bit in a di disagreeance. He wanted one way I wanted the other. And that was kind of when we just started, you know, kind of drifting apart a little bit. Um, and then, so then the good thing about that was like, I started to really, you know, deal on a day-to-day -day basis with the sponsors and the corporations. And I learned a lot. Like I learned so much and like, I'm excited to learn more about business and do things. And, and that's, you know, and I, and I got, owe that to, to racing and, and running my own sure. team. So I, no, no negative from it at all. Yeah. No, I was just curious how much, uh, it, 2014 was the year you won Anaheim, right? Am I right yeah, on that? Twice. Yeah. Two and three. Was was it retro night? I can't remember yeah, which one retro. it was. I won. I won both. I won the last. I won like there was three and <laughs> the retro Anaheim night was one, a was, great race. And I won. I was third, and then I went one one at the next two. Well, I think it was the I retro actually think night the one. first. The retro night was the one that came A2? from behind, I believe. Yeah, a two. I came from behind. I I didn't know what retro night was, but it was. was it I think it was years? that night. Was it? Four? I think it was. Yeah, because I have a helmet that says forty years. Yeah. It's actually a Troy Lee helmet, and it's like it's got all the past champions on it. And um, yeah, I think it was 40th year, like 40th celebration. Well, I, I don't remember what the hell. I think I was just there covering it for for uh, the magazine at the time or whatever. But I remember watching that race, and it was one of those ones where you watched and you you know you just saw something special. I don't know if you guys had the same feeling, or if you've ever watched a race and it's like you almost like choked up when it's over. But watching you be so emotionally. Um, kind of overwhelmed after that race you know i remember you squatting down beside your bike and then mm -hmm. jumping up on that concrete it was like just as a fan i was like that's badass i don't know how anybody yeah, would not right. have well, been the, happy the fan, for you the, the fans i think even if they were people in the stands that maybe weren't the biggest chad reed fans they were cheering that night yeah it was just something special i, mean, I gotta believe that that meant a lot to you that, that and, and even from like the the monkey on the handlebars like there was the calmness you know like when sometimes when like you're not necessarily because i think i was like sixth seventh maybe like yeah. you know like i wasn't like whole shot and right at the front um track was kind of like typical anaheim where it like it got dry it got slick you know and track was a little bit more challenging it had a big set of whoops with a weird roller into it after the whoops uh, after the triple and so the track was real challenging and then uh it was one of those typical kind of days where you maybe you didn't feel the greatest all day but you just kind of felt like you had it a good grasp of what was happening. And I had this calmness of like, just something's going to happen tonight. I'm, you know, just let it come to you kind of thing. And, uh, and I was, you know, like I've always been pretty solid in the whoops. And so like, I kind of basically broke the track down and there was a whoops, you turn this 90 degree turn. And then it was kind of like a list onto the table, 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 and then another section, and it was kind of like if you put those two sections together, the rest of the track was kind of pretty straightforward and you couldn't really do anything um, different. And kind of one after one, like I think Dunge lost the front and crashed and then the RV lost the front and crashed. 
Um, and then ironically on throwback night, it kind of gets, you know, left me and James are going at it. Um, and so it was just fun, you know, like it was one of those nights where, you know, you don't often get to say you came from behind, you kind of stalked James Stewart and you passed him and left him. Not many times you can claim that in your <laughs> no, career, yeah. you know, like dudes, well, not many people you know, can say that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like there's a handful of it, maybe not even a handful of us, but there's there's a, there's a few of us that can claim that. And it was like, it was just one of those nights where it just, yeah, like the bike was good. We were on point. Um, yeah, got it, got it done. It was awesome. And I hadn't won in a while. I think it was one of the driest, longest yeah. period. Obviously, that was 14. We went through 13. Again, I think in 13, I'm... 31-ish, 2-ish, and, uh, and, you know, like, everyone's kind of written you off yeah. for yeah, the yeah. third or fourth time in your career. <laughs> and so when you go do your own thing on a Kawasaki and, you you know, you kind of, you've left big Honda, big red, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're the black sheep and you're going and doing it on your own, to, to do that, like, I think I had a podium in 13, but no wins, um, which was only the second time it had ever happen actually maybe it was the first time it ever happened um no 10 i didn't win a race in 10 so it was the second time it's only the second year that i'd not won a race and so immediately it just like man it's like this sucks and you have to make changes and i always applaud people that can rethink and come up with a bigger better plan that's going to put you in position to be a better racer a better human whatever and so the pressures of all that and really we were three races in of you know already three races in i was podium on at the first race then i think we went to phoenix i struggled normally always in phoenix and then i come back and i win anaheim it's a pretty big relief you know yeah and sure. so it's like yeah it was a it was a huge relief for me to kind of turn it around we had discount tire was bigger and better than ever um you know so um it so happened to be on my you know, my cool down kind of waving to the fans. I see big old discount tire banners. I'm like, I'm going to give some love to them. And it was, it was real, it was real emotion, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think that that's sometimes what's missing from our sport is you, you gotta, you gotta rub people's nose and face in, in shit when you can, because just <laughs> so few times I always think that like when you can stamp on somebody's yeah, throat, I know you down, do it and, and it feels good you it. need to you gotta that's get off your I chest about i miss that about current generation because that's what i grew up in i've seen everybody do it before me and i'm just the product of what i've seen and i do it mm -hmm. and it's it's fucking awesome let's be honest and it was just cool you know like i and it was it's like just, sticking it to the man you know you're just like yeah. this is my time to shine it wasn't a honda to be seen not a honda in sight to be in the podium contention maybe there was i don't even remember who knows but it was just at that point no one nothing else cares other than you prove people wrong once yeah. again you know well, or you prove yourself right <laughs> I, I i can tell you it stood out to me you know when i think back of those races where you're just kind of left like that yeah, was like badass. You, you realize you witnessed history. Like yeah, that, yeah. That's, just a, that's a race special. that'll be talked yeah. about for decades to come. So now to go to a, a much crappier place. Was it San Diego that year where you had a big crash? Mm -hmm. There was whoops and then a double, if I remember right. Yeah, whoops. Yeah, oh, whoops and, yeah. Uh, it was I another believe, like three, uh, five, three almost or a step up. Yeah, but it was the whoops that I crashed. Um, yeah, you, I thought you. So what happened was, I mean, yeah. so I think, I think James won the race. 
James kind of had checked out a little bit. And then I think, uh, I want to say RV. RV was, RV and uh, Stu had kind of checked out. I it was one of those weekends I was struggling a little bit and just, I don't know, just fought something all weekend. And then uh, last lap, going for third, Kenny's third, I was fourth. That's and right. then uh, yeah. And then, and then Dunge was fifth and like, like it was like third, fourth, fifth, like we're all quite close. And yeah, basically like I'd finally like been chipping away, chipping away, you know, trying to figure out Kenny. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that particular weekend had rained all week or leading up to it. Yeah, and it was so gnarly in practice. And then it was pretty decent racetrack. There was this like tabletop with two singles and I struggled and didn't do it all weekend. And then I finally did it in the main event. I was just like, it was like one of those tracks that like literally had you beat, you know, like you were just mad at the world. And finally you get a good start and you just do everything in the, on the first lap, second lap. And so the whole race, I had to almost ride myself into this new feeling of like doing the actual jumps on the racetrack that you're supposed to do. And, uh, and so I was like finding pace, finding pace. And then like big old round sets of whoops, real slippery and uh you know kenny was kind of struggling so then i just you know got real close to kenny sent it just like basically just on the bales was sending it down the inside the next turn was left it was a 90 degree left and you know i would have in my opinion i would have got past kenny or at least got it alongside of him would have been able to make the pass uh, and then you know hopefully fight for third um unfortunately i think it was nick way um was a lap rider and Kenny got a little bit balked by him and basically moved over when I had already full commitment to the whoops. Um, and so I've had to just chop the throttle and the thing just like, I just basically, you know, was kind of riding the front and then I hit the back of actually hit the back of Kenny. Um, and then kind of just like fell over. And when I fell over, it was uh, like exiting the whoops. It was a three footer and it just drove yeah, me straight, straight into that, that, uh, that thing. And again, it broke, uh, broke my scapula. Um, and then did some AC separation, and then I think I broke a rib. Um, so yeah, I DNF'd, and I but I, I we were lapped up to quite a ways, so I think I ended up maybe just outside or inside this top ten still. Um, you know, so for championship wise, I was still like in a fighting chance. I was only like, you know, maybe five to ten points out of it. Um, but yeah, at that point, I would say, and I've said it a couple of times, like that particular injury. It was one of those injuries where you knew, like, you weren't okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you're like, this sucks. I'm hurt. But everything's riding on you. You know, the pressure of the team being you, uh, the sponsor being, you know, all invested in you. And so I just, I committed, you know, Ellie and I talked. And it was, you know, you kind of have that normal chat where she basically talks you off the ledge, tells you to get out of the hospital go start rehab race the next weekend and i was all in but there was just like that there was something questioning in, in the back of my mind and uh, yeah the next weekend i rode dallas and my shoulder popped out um i broke my coracoid actually and i have a screw in it now but you know you kind of go through the checklist of all these injuries and it's kind of like okay yeah scapula is broken but there's a lot of muscle of holding it together i could still <laughs> race and do this you know um coracoid's broken it's not a weight Thing. so as long as you don't take a hit you should be fine and i'm like ah oh, screw it let's let's give it a try and yeah dislocated in practice and uh, that was it i was out for the rest of 14 well when you crashed and you were sitting i remember you sitting up on the jump 
kind of holding your shoulder. I mean, dude, you went in like a ton of bricks. You hit that. Oh, yeah. You just into the face that so stunt, hard. That's what breaks things. I was just hoping you weren't yeah. really jacked up. So, yeah, that was yeah. a big one. Yeah, and uh, trying to ride the next weekend would definitely be one of the dumbest things I've ever had. Like, talk about pain, you know, like getting shot up and try to, you know, back in those days, you could get shot up and painkillers and, you know, get direct, uh, you know, direct into the location, you know, painkillers and, yeah, didn't it didn't work. Still. Yeah, not it when you got bones hurt. broken. No. That's a tough Bo- one. Bones broke. I don't care what you get <laughs> shot with. Bones still hurt. Yeah. <laughs> bones hurt. So uh, at the end of fourteen, was that the end of the team, or did you do one more? Uh, so fifteen. So I I heal up. I raced outdoors. Struggled. Um, you know, kind of again. Really, probably shouldn't have rode outdoors, but I came back. Felt the need to do it for sponsors. Um, you know, kind of rode. You almost ride through a a year where you're you're not really healthy you wasn't ready to come back a lot of other things were starting to seep in you're, the real struggles of the team were starting to really kind of become real um you know and then we took on jg uh in 15 um so the team the team though it was in jeopardy and it was like kind of like do i run it do i not discount tire stepped up they wanted two riders um they obviously witnessed the fact that you know, like they were awesome in the fact that they witnessed and I had it such a great communication with the people then, uh, people have changed a little bit, but back then it was like, you could have a real conversation. And I think that they were, they seen like how much I love the team and how much I love them. And I wanted to just do whatever it took to keep them happy. And they, I think they seen that maybe I did things that I shouldn't have done, um, from the riding aspect of things. So they were like the benefit of having a second rider would be huge. You Take know, a little weight like off your shoulders. one was, if, yeah, a little weight off my shoulders. If I was to get hurt or, or he was to get hurt, there's still one person available. Um, so they were in really, you know, they were in high support of a second rider and that's how we ended up with JG. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as far as the year, I mean, JG had his best supercross season ever. Um, you know, raced all the races, didn't get his normal getting hurt or missing a race here and there, you know. Um, I restructured the team and team kind of was really, I could feel the team, they didn't understand why I was restructuring the team. Um, but I think the end result of what we got out of JG is why I restructured it. Um, you know, taking Lars from my mechanic to putting him with, with, uh, uh, with JG. And my thinking was, I'm in Florida. I'm never in California. Goose was a big part of the team, but he was heavily based in Idaho. Um, so let's take me and Goose, who have a, an amazing relationship. Let's Him and I work together, and we're not actively there. Where Lars, Lars was great. You know, like I always thought that Lars was a better mechanic than he was, you know, doing like helper jobs and things like that. And so I thought that Lars could help, you know, go to the racetrack and or practice track, test track and, you know, test and, and really put his effort into working with JG and building that relationship because they are both heavily built, you know, uh, based in California. Um, and as it worked out, I think it was the right decision, but I think that, and even to this day, they'd probably say they were pissed off or bitter that, you know, he got, he felt like he got downgraded, I think, uh, you know, when when it wasn't that way. Like, in my opinion, I actually upgraded him because I valued him that highly that I wanted him to have that position, you know. Yeah. Um, 
never had that conversation with him, but definitely the feeling I got. Um, so yeah. And then obviously then goose and I were just easy. We're just two old dudes that, you know, it's kind of rekindled a relation, you know, like he already worked on the team, but it was just easy, you know, like you could fly him to Florida if I needed to do things and he would just go back to Idaho and he wasn't having that daily hands on experience that he was having, uh, you know, in California, like Lars was. And, um, so what happened at the end of that season? Why, why the decision to, to, to back out? Basically just, yeah, just one thing after another, it just seemed like it really wore me. Um, I wasn't having any success. Um, and like anything, I think when you're not having the success, everything's an uphill battle. Um, it's hard to you know, sell like yourself I, to sponsors. Yeah. Like I started, like, I feel like it was, you started to feel, I started to feel the, the real situation of, a a team that I own and run being located in California and I'm in Florida. I don't ever want to go to California. You know, I'm never there. I never have to be there. And so you, there's that, there's that, you know, I don't know. Like there was a miss. There's just something was missing yeah. to, and it just started, you know, like the sponsors were starting to become more and more challenging. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. I think it just one thing led to another. It wasn't really one particular thing. Um, it was just a, you know, little thing here and a little thing there, and it just all added up to the point where I was just like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Was it was that um, difficult for you to pull the plug? Or were you like, you know what, it's been a good run. It was I learned one of the lot, hardest but... things I've ever, yeah, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, really, really to be honest. I was at uh, Mount Morris Motocross, um, and basically just, uh, yeah, like I was just felt like I was out there just riding, and my mind was like not even one percent on riding it was just like i was just going through the motions and everything was just like weighing on me and i came in after the first moto and i said i'm done i'm like you all need to pack everything put everything on the semi um go back to california and uh i'm done i can't do this anymore oh is that right and uh yeah you didn't finish that that there was maybe like there was like three or four races left i think but yeah i just shut it down right then and there i'm just like i can't do this anymore you know um yeah like just like it was emotional like real like it was hard to make that decision yeah um but it was the only decision i i could make at that point i just couldn't my head wasn't in it i wasn't i wasn't enjoying it wasn't having fun anymore so i needed to needed to make changes and And I i think too when you make that 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 decision mentally especially knowing you and i have a little bit of that personality i can't you can't prolong it you can't drag it out and fake it it's just uh, that's my decision, right, wrong, and different. This is how we're going to end it right here, right now, and be done with it. So I can understand how frustrating, or no, maybe not even frustrating, but just you look and you think of all the time and effort and hard work, and now to think like, yeah, we're just going to go away. It's It definitely is a little bit... I was able to do a, a, a very s- small team on a small level. You've been involved in a team, but you get invested in it. You know, there's uh, there's goals, there's pride, there's you do all these things. Well, and the, you know, the guys were like they were like your brothers. You know, yeah, like you you almost you got a family there. You spend like I was spending more time with those guys than geez, Ellie and the kids. You know, yeah. like it's like you just you're so invested, and it's like and I think from California to Florida it was hard too on on East Coast timing, and it seemed like you know any conversation you needed to have with them, it was like you're dealing with that three hour window. And it just, yeah, like there was just a, just a lot of things, you know, that, that added up. And, um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to dollars and cents and making sense of it, you know? So yeah. I feel like it would it be just, tough in that position because not only is it your team and you've, you've put all this effort in to build it up, but it's like, you also have 
all those guys on the payroll. You know it affects them. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that would be and I, we, that would be heavy. And the thing that like I like what I respect most is like Ellie and I like we took care everybody got paid full in full. You know, not one individual got cut. Um, you know, their contracts obviously ended, you know, some of them had multi-year deals and they got, uh, terminated. But as far as like that year, nobody got uh, cut salary, yeah. everybody, you know, even JG got paid in full with yeah. missing three or four races. That's cool. Um, now it's just what I felt was right, you know? So it wasn't the smartest business decision to make, but it was, I felt like I could sleep at night and, you know, felt good because again, that those people weren't just people to me, you know, like they were my people. Yeah. Um, I still look at them as my people, you know, when I'm around Lars and I see him in a Honda shirt and doing all these things, I'm like, God, he's so much better than what you, you know, like I, yeah. I, I still dig him, you know, like yeah. I love Lars. I love Oscar, you know, goose. I regularly still speak with. It's, like they're my people. I still enjoy those people, you know. So, moving forward past that, what 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 was your thought process for the following season? At that point, I didn't have a plan to be honest. Like, kind of just one thing led to another. I, um, I think I took some time off, try to clear my mind and figure out like, is it is it time? Do I retire at this point? Do I continue? Um, there was there was ramblings of trying to like Yamaha was starting, you know, like there was like, you could hear some rumors in the background of like Yamaha wanting to come back racing. Um, so I basically just invested myself in like, I don't want to do this and have it all on me anymore, but I have an amazing relationship with discount tire. Um, maybe we can, you know, stay with discount tire and I can take discount tire to factory Yamaha. And it would like, it would be this, you know, like it's almost too good to be true, but like you go into that point where you're like, I'll go back home, you know, Yamaha's home for me, um, you know, and just enjoy that part of it. And, and we could take discount and, you know, Yamaha was talking a big thing. Like they want to recreate team and do this and have this many people, all those kinds of things, you know? And I was like, this is, I want to be a part of this. And so then, uh, yeah, like obviously then I was on plane flying to California. Um, and yeah, kind of not quickly. Um, but kind of over the next month or two, I got a Yamaha, started riding it, started riding two stroke a little bit again. Um, and then, yeah, just one thing led to another and then that all worked out, you know, monster started, you know, monster invested in the team again, 360 fly with Peter Addison invested in the team. Unfortunately, the, the discount tire thing didn't work out. Um, as they kind of chose a different direction to go in. Um, but we got a team fired up, you know, and Yamaha went racing again and it was just a single rider team. And then, uh, but it, you know, you look at the big picture and I was really just the one that got the wheels turning. Yeah. And then Cooper was the, the prize possession that we were trying to bring into the team. And, um, he was a big part of the team actually even happening. Like I think monster required him to be signed on the 450 for the 2016 or 17 season um yeah because i think it was no so it was 16 17 so him he was coming on the team in 17 17 yeah um and so yeah that you know as we know it didn't all work out like it was supposed to but that was that was fun like it was a it was a fun part of like going home going back to yamaha um all the things that you remembered were still very real and, and yeah. you got to witness it all over again at a different age and, and a different part of your life and career. And 
Um, but like I've said over and over, it was, so that was fun for me, like to bring Yamaha back racing and be a part of that. Um, I shouldn't say bring them back, but I, I, be a part I of, it. Like yeah, I was, of it for sure. Yeah. I was a big part of the fighting for it and like going in and, you know, because where there's smoke, there's fire always. And, you know, the conversations that we had and I was flying to Arizona with Keith and we were having conversations like I was a, I, I, I do believe I was a part of like trying to find the money and the monster relationship. I was a monster guy and we were having that conversation. And so, yeah, like at the end of the day, I think I was a big part of it. For sure. So didn't have the results you really wanted probably those seasons. Yeah. I mean, but... results wise, it was just really inconsistent. It was my results were very Yamaha-ish, to be honest. Like, they were either really good or really bad, and they, I just couldn't find that that solid, I'm there every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, that, that seems to be the case, um, you know, in the last kind of five years over there. So, yeah, like, I, I had different problems than what Cooper did, and that made it challenging. He couldn't ride his. He couldn't ride the bike to save his life in the in the dry and the and the slick mm-hmm. California, you know, Arizona dirt. But yet, I could only ride it in the dry. <laughs> Is that right? So, uh, anytime we had traction and there was ruts, I was horrendous. And he was the opposite. Like he got. He, we would go to Oakland and it was sticky and ruddy, and I just felt like I'd never rode a motorcycle before. And yet, Cooper is like crushing it, and so. We would we could never compliment each other. We never could figure it out, you know. So were your settings a, very different? I think our settings were quite different, um, you know. And I think as the year went on, they got even further apart. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was strange. Strange that I could ride it in one condition, or I was comfortable riding it in one condition, and then I would struggle in others. And then he was complete opposite. So that just, uh. I think that made it challenging for us. I think it made it challenging for the team because when run ride is happy here and then struggling yeah. and it's just complete opposite, then I think it's, it, they it don't know confusion. what to believe. Yeah. Or what's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, and I think at that point, who do you believe? Do you believe the old guy that's washed up? Do you believe the new kid that's supposed to be winning? Like, it's just, yeah. yeah. I don't know that they, you know, like it was a hard scenario to manage, I think. Well, there's been, we, we talked about it, I think in one of your last shows, but there's, there's a component to something over there that's making that bike inconsistent at the factory racing level. Do you think going to star, which is by all accounts, what's going to happen next year? Star is going to run their 450 program. Do you think that's a solution? Do you think they'll be able to find something? No, you say no. You think it's something in the bike, chassis, or otherwise? All right. I know what to say. <laughs> oh shit! I I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know that I believe it's the bike. I really don't. Really? Is I haven't right? rode the bike. Yeah. I on. I haven't rode the new current bike, but even the bike we had wasn't horrendous. It wasn't. It re- yeah. like it was. It was horrendous in ways, but I felt that there was a way to figure it out, and we just never, we were never able to really get in there and really dig deep and really ruin some stuff and make it terrible to learn something to make it better. And you don't think that'll happen at all with Star? You don't think that they're going to have a little bit of that opportunity? I don't know. Maybe I... I'm reserved because I've been there and I've seen it in so many different ways. And I've seen it from the factory inner circle. I've seen it from the L and M circle. I've seen it from going back to yeah. the factory level. 
and I I haven't ever seen it done differently. Yeah. And hmm. though it may be work, you know, there may be a new name. I don't know how much it'll really be different. Um, so I I don't know. Maybe I'm. I just find it such a. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Like I I think that the sport needs. Sport needs Yamaha in there digging, and it's just it's two to three extra factory four fifties that we need for people to be competitive. Yeah. You know, like when when two factory bikes become not really an option because in the big scheme of things, currently right now, although like I'm happy to see Barsha starting to be more solid. You know, yeah, like he's he's looking like week to week moto to moto he's a little bit more solid um tickle's always solid i don't care if he's on a like it doesn't matter what bike you ride he just seems like he'll make it work right but i think that when you see you know bam bam be able to win a moto and then he's horrendous and win a moto and you know like when it's up down but i would say that recently he seems a little bit more consistent yeah and that's that's always a good sign that things are positively happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm really wrong. To be honest with you, I think it's healthy that that Yamaha gets in there and those two factory, uh, you know, bikes on the grid become wanted seats. Not it's just not such a seat, you know it's such a bizarre situation because that production bike it's won every shootout in the last. Aside from I think MXA always the KTM always wins, but every other shootout that's done, the Yamaha's either first or second. So in production form, it's a great motorcycle. Mm-hmm. What the hell happens between there and the the gate at Anaheim one? Yeah, what's the problem? I, why I, why can they not find that consistency to like you said yeah, make it good uh, everywhere? I have I feel like I have quite a few answers to that, but not willing to give those up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you don't want to piss people off. No, it's not even about pissing people off. I just don't think like why, why put it out there and fix the problem yeah. when it should be their problem to fix, not mine. You know, so, so um, Chad Reed has the answer to know, fix it, though. Well, I, th- I don't. I, that, I we think shouldn't claim that. Have I, <laughs> I feel like thoughts. I have. I have. Uh, I think I have some valid reasons uh, of my opinion. Well, you've been in the trenches as well. What I've seen. Uh, from both riding on the team and what I've seen from the outside looking in and from being on the racetrack around those particular motorcycles. Um, I think that there's some real strengths that they have. There's some weaknesses that they need to work on, but every team has that. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, seemingly they, they have a bigger swing, you know, that's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. You know? hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So when you, when the, when the Yamaha deal wound down, what kept you going? Well, why why did you decide what to kind of do? do? Was that the uh, year you hurt your ankle at? I was, gonna say, I was actually trying to go through the years and figure out where we're at. But um, yeah, when I left Yamaha, it was just like I had to leave. Like I had to just I couldn't do what I was, you know, what. And it was sad. Like the day that I decided, like, dude, I can't do this, and then because um, you know that, like that was your second go around. And like, I had this, I had this amazing thought of what was going to happen. And it, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve with it. You know? Yeah. Um, the end result was like, it hurt me. Like it, I actually was bummed. I was sad. Um, 
so then I was like, okay, whatever, you know, like I can't do this. It just, it's not, it does. It, I'm not the best version of myself here. So I have to figure something out. And then, yeah, I mean, really I went and raced the straight rhythm. Well, tried to race straight rhythm and then broke my ankle the day before the straight rhythm. Um, the Mike bog. I can't remember you. No, I just over jumped. Oh, um, okay. There was like a, yeah, like it was just a, you know, it is a rhythm section, <laughs> but halfway one. through the rhythm section, it was a big one. Yeah. It was kind of like, uh, you know, on a 450, it was literally so easy, I think, you know, like, but just, you know, the, the speed difference that you, ch- that you have within the rhythm section have you guys ever wrote it i think gl you wrote it one i was i was foolish enough to do it the first year and so my, my knee what was you don't realize is <laughs> just from so the jumps are essentially supercross spec jumps but you're carrying you're carrying quite a few miles an hour yeah. more yeah so like everything comes at you a little bit faster and everything seems just different and then you add to the fact that i hadn't rode a two-stroke in 10 plus years and everything felt real weird and you know like so i was feeling it out and anyway it was just a real simple like it was a three five three and i just jumped in and like jumped into the pocket to jump the next three five three and i just went too much like i went too long and landed like weird just perfectly like front and rear in the middle of the transition and i think it just bought both bottomed and my ankle just broke you know um I kind of like it. it was really not a big deal like i landed and i kind of like i knew i was going long and just kind of went long and then i went double double and i'm like oh dude something doesn't feel right <laughs> something's and, uh, broken again yeah yeah and then i went back and i'm like dude i think i just broke my ankle and ellie's like you break your ankle like you you know get back out there and so i go do another run i'm like no i really hurts <laughs> like i actually think it's broken and then by then I went back and I took my boot off. And as soon as I took my boot off, I couldn't even put weight on it. Yeah. And, uh, she, and then I'm like hopping around and I'm like, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And she's just like, like, are you serious? <laughs> Cause it was our anniversary weekend. We we're in California and, you know, like staying in a real nice hotel. It was like supposed to be really fun trip weekend. away with the yeah. two of us. But then we're going to race this race on the Saturday. And then, yeah, so that was, we, we spent the Friday night at the hospital and should not happy. Happy um, anniversary, but babe. anyway, yeah. Long story short. Um, well, I was, angle, I was really bummed because your bike was badass. Dude, and my I, bike was really badass. It was legit. Like it was, it was, you know, like I built the steel frame, uh, 04 bike with, yeah. and it had my actual 05, like the good 05 engine in it. Um, so it was kind of like that. It was almost like the 15 years past it's used by date, but like building, you know, what my best bike would be as far as like the steel chassis, but then our 05 engine was really good. Yeah. So like combining all that, um, yeah, weird story, but like at the end of 04, no, it wasn't 04, at the end of, had to have been 04 actually, end of 04, so like you go through the typical like September, October, November testing period, you, you figure out your new spec bike, and then uh, I went and did a couple of races in Australia, and I spent time down there. Um, and so I was, uh, they shipped two bikes down there. And and actually, I think back in those days, they just shipped, for some reason, we had, it was engine, swing arm, which, why they sent a swing arm, I don't know. Um, what else? And then, obviously, suspension. And that was really all you needed. You could just use a production yeah. frame, because they were production back then. Um, and then you just go, go racing. And I had a practice bike, race bike. Anyway, 
we shipped them all back and then like one crate got sent back to australia and then i'd already come back to america my parents kind of like just took it it was at my parents house and then like one thing led to another by the time i wasn't going to go back there for one year well then we'd switch to four stroke and then literally so then i ended up with there. a full factory uh <laughs> you know set of suspension and an engine uh in australia so then one of the years i basically um yeah like i brung back the engine and i'm like i'm gonna build this thing up you know and at that point i think yamaha had even forgot about it they'd already thrown they'd already thrown their two-stroke stuff away and um so yeah it was it was actually one of those mis you know like a general mistake that turned out to be awesome because (laughs) i got to build myself a factory you know yamaha 250 two-stroke you still have that thing yeah, I still have it. Yeah, yeah. And, now, and at that point, like when I raced straight rhythm, it was all white and just Boost Mobile. Um, but now it's like it's all it's my replica bike. Yeah. It's blue. It's like as my bike was in two thousand four. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So going into that season, um, yes. did that so going screw into that you season with that ankle. So at that point, like I had already made the decision like that week to ride a Husky. Um, I'd already like talked to Ian. Ian was going to do a certain part. We were leasing some parts. Uh, again, we we're leasing leasing ECU. Um, I think some cam and you know some other engine parts um, and bits and pieces, some brakes and clutch and things like that. Um, so that was already kind of like in the works. We were making that work, and then I broke my ankle. And then I'd already sold sponsorship. You know, like Boost Mobile had already committed. Um, Speed Zone, D- Dustin Farthing had already uh, committed to going racing with us. And so, kind of like I was put committed at that point, you know, like I felt bad and I hadn't even, like the week before Anaheim, I only just started walking. I remember. Um, I think I talked to you yeah. at A1. And so like, yeah. dude, I hadn't done anything in eight weeks or whatever it was, five, six weeks, maybe. Actually, I think it was six weeks or seven weeks. Um, and I got the sign off for the doctor to start walking and then putting and then actually riding. And I didn't know that he really knew what riding meant, you know, like, I think he was like, yeah, let's go just start riding on the field. But so I literally like zero testing goose built me a bike on new year's Eve or something like that. I rode it around the supercross track at home. Didn't even jump the triple because my ankle hurt so much. And I'm like, yep, all right, put it on a truck, send it to California. You know, like we're going to, I'll see you guys in a week. And yeah, that was it. That was, that was the that was the there was the story and the fact that just so underprepared yeah. overweight out of shape just chasing your um, tail just chase my tail at no point in the season was i worth a crap or i should never been on the starting line what's up what's up quick <laughs> <laughs> he's helmeted Excuse up me, dad Please, yeah, but, you know what that means. Oh, it's BMX time. Um, and so, really, yeah, just one of those years that was so challenging. Everyone was like, oh, he's not gelling with the KTM and the Husky. It had nothing to do with that. Like, yeah. just, dude, so not in a good space. So, got through Supercross. Um, I made it to every main event. I did a way more last chance than I ever wanted to do in my life. Um, and then, yeah, took the summer off, you know? And then, like, like my goal was, like, dude, I can't go out like that. It's not okay. And so I just started riding and training. And actually, I actually just bought a Honda. I think I was riding a Honda. And was, you know, simply just riding around, doing some riding. And then I got a random call um, from J-Bone. And he's like, hey, I didn't even know who got hurt. But somebody got hurt. Will you come and race? Uh 
it was actually Bud's Creek, which was like, literally, this is on a Wednesday where you race on Saturday. And I'm like, I haven't rode the bike. I am not ready. Like I've been riding and training, but I have not in race shape yeah. at all, you know? And he's like, we well, can do it. Come on, man, just do it. And I'm like, I will get on a plane. I'll come to Charlotte and I will ride the bike and I will think about doing the last race, which was uh, Indiana. Yeah. And so we went up there. I was really surprised. The bike was really quite nice. It was, it was kind of like your typical Suzuki, just really fun to ride. Um, you know, and, and then he's just like, at that point he wanted me to commit and I'm like, dude, if you really want me to race it, I, let me take it to Florida and I'll just ride all next week or I'll ride over the weekend. And then you guys go to Bud's Creek and then I will try to be as prepared as I can for next weekend. Um, and so he let me take the bike, you know, no, no agreements, no handshakes, just like, Hey, just be, be good with it. Be kind with it. Don't, don't get it stolen. Um, and so I went to Florida did some riding with Kenny and I was considerably a lot closer to Kenny and chase than what I was on the production Honda. Yes. Um, and so I just felt like, okay, I, I could do this, you know, like I'll whatever. And then you start looking at the weather. It looks like it's going to be muddy. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be great. The great equalizer. Anyway, I, qualified, I, I qualified quite well. I think I qualified seventh. Um, you know, and then for the surprise to me was the driest, straightest line of the first turn. Nobody took it. I took it. Hole shot it almost. And then the real big surprise to me was the second race. Nobody took it again. And I'm like, this is amazing. And hole shot at that one, led a couple of laps. Or maybe didn't, I don't know, maybe I was second or whatever. But I was up there, um, crashed lap two, three, went back, and then I had to come back. I think I went five, five, eight for fifth overall maybe that was, i'm sure they were pumped it was impressive and uh i think that they were you know like typical like it was really my like at that point you kind of acknowledge like this is my last national <laughs> like yeah i don't have the desire to do nationals anymore um the fans like were super into it they cheered me the whole way um i was somewhat competitive considering the the amount of effort sure. that i'd put in and how much i'd rode the bike um, so I, at that point, like I acknowledge, like, dude, that's, I feel good about going out yeah. on outdoors like that, coming off the couch, yeah. riding for a team and a bike that I don't really know. Um, and being fifth overall, I think I was, I'm, I'm good. I can, I can swallow that, you know? So, and then, yeah, so that's that. And then that really was it, you know, but they let me keep the bike. Um, I think that they noticed and realized how much exposure they got with me riding the bike. Um, you know, so then that dug up old conversations. I had conversations with discount tire. Unfortunately, I think the Penske and NASCAR and then the JGR NASCAR was too close. So then I think that that relationship was never going to work, um, because of the connections on the NASCAR side of things. Mm -hmm. So then it would be, it'd be seen as, you know, discount tire going with JGR when unfortunately they're very heavily invested in the Penske organization. So I think that that hurt us a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, so you did want to go to JGR we, for the next year. I just, did want to go to JGR and I, and I, and I enjoyed my time there. Like I said, they were super cool to me. Um, I loved, I loved the atmosphere of the team. We, um, one thing led to another, like I said, they let me cheap the bike. Then the Japanese were coming. We were having like behind the door, like behind closed doors on the phone and everything like that. We were having a lot of conversations about me. How do I, how do I come on race on the team? Cause they'd already, they'd already signed Weston and I think uh, Hill. 
So they already had their team, mm. you know, and, and a team that was already struggling on sponsorship didn't have the budget to take on me. Yeah. So I was having to play a big role on trying to go find sponsors and money and all these kinds of things. Um, but the cool thing was, is they let me keep the bike, let me ride. The conversation was ongoing. I didn't really want to go anywhere. They seemingly wanted to try to make it work. So then they let me be a big part of the test. Um, the Japanese came over. Um, and then I was a big part of the, the supercross test. Um, and so I essentially got to test and set up a factory Suzuki for myself. Um, plus test a bunch of, you know, parts and I had been a long time since I'd worked with the Japanese. So it was really fun. It kind of felt fresh for me. Um, and then, yeah, like, again, I started then spending more time up here. Um, they did an off season deal with me where they said, okay, We'll get you your practice bike and your test bike. You ride it here. You don't get to take it to Florida. Um, so come and ride it here. You can ride our facility and we'll ship you a bike and we'll send Ben with you to uh, Australia. And so we did that. It was successful. It was, you know, I did good and I won, I think, one of the two races that we did down there in New Zealand and Australia. Um, and then unfortunately, honestly, um, you know, something that you'd never wish on anyone, but Weston got hurt, mm. uh, in Paris and I inherited, you know, the position there. Um, but it wasn't like I inherited that. It wasn't like, oh yeah, Weston's hurt. We're going to take on you. You know, like they still, Weston was hurt in such a bad way that the team was super rad in my opinion. And the fact that they were still paying him, it wasn't yeah. like they were like, oh yeah, he's, he's injured. We're not going to pay him. Like they, you know, like they were fully paying him to my understanding, um, you know, and doing their, their end of the bargain on that. So it wasn't like it freed up money so that we still had to basically, like I was on the awesome. fence of like, okay, Weston's out and they need a rider, but we still don't necessarily fix the problem that we don't have money. Um, and then, yeah, like right before Anaheim, we figured something out and made it worthwhile and it was great. I, it was really awesome. Like I really enjoyed the team. Like I said, it, it got me out of Florida, moved the whole family to North Carolina um, and it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, like I, they're lifelong friends, Coy, Jabo and the whole team. Like I, I love those guys and I'm now living just down the road from them. So it's yeah, that's kind of cool. one of those things that worked out real good, you know, though, though I'm not on the team because it didn't make sense from sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like not bitter at all. Like that was, it was a mutual decision that it wasn't the best thing for me to continue there because I had, you know, some sponsorships and some opportunities, um, that I had to take advantage of, um, elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so the final, this final season was meant to be kind of a farewell tour for you. Um, and it didn't really play out obviously the way you'd hoped having fans there and being able to interact with people. Um, so much so that there was chatter about you even coming back for 21 for a handful of races. Hmm. What is that still something you're kicking around? So, uh, you know, like I, I would say that like to start off, I got hurt in Paris, you know, like I kind of like I'd been working pretty hard. Um, felt like I was in decent shape to come into this season in 2020, like with a pretty decent head of steam and like actually try to go out on a, on a, on a, on a high. Um, I left for Anaheim one in 2019 and I walked out the door and I actually like, I was so emotional. Ellie wasn't going, it had been weighing on me. I felt like it was a conversation that I had a million times in my own head, but I hadn't had it with anyone, not even my own wife. Um, and I just lost it. Like I literally broke down as I was walking to the car and I said, 
I'm going to my final Anaheim. Like I, I don't know that I want to do this anymore, you know? And that was already the year before. And I would say I had way more fun than I expected. I was starting to become more competitive and I really enjoyed being a factory rider again and, and just solely being able to put effort in with the team and your, you know, your own riding, your own training, all these kinds of things. And I felt like I got to the point where I was on the podium in 2019 at 37 years old. Um, and so for me, it was like, I, w- I felt rejuvenated and I had fun. And then it all got cut short with my crash and getting hurt in Seattle. So I'm like, I don't want to go out like that. You know, like I actually was having fun. <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of was like that one thing where it was like, I was having fun. I was enjoying the team. Then the team encountered sponsorship problems and, you know, what I was enjoying, you know, wasn't really going to happen there. So then it was just like one thing led to another and then it felt sketchy again. I'm like, fuck, I'm over this, you know, like I just want to be the writer. And then I had to kind of create my own stuff again. And, and anyway, so coming into the year, it sucked because I was so hurt, you know, like I had back to back broken ribs. Um, I was really struggling with just being able to take on like my lungs. Like I honestly can say I've never in my life struggled from a cardiovascular side of things, you know, like, but I just struggled. Like I felt like I would, I was breathing through a straw at all times. Mm-hmm. And, and you both know that's no fun to race super grass, you know, breathing through a straw. And so when COVID happened, it was kind of fun. Like I actually got to be like, okay. And I kind of stepped away and I didn't necessarily ride. My body just started healing. It started getting better. I dug in Ellie and I like the, you know, typical, like the rest of the world, the gym's all closed. We built a gym here at the house. Like I was back on the skier. I was back on the you know stationary bicycle. I was lifting and then just my body and everything started to feel more normal. And I felt like I, I was so much more prepared as far as like, like I would say that there's a level like there's racing fitness and then there's like, okay, I'm pretty fit as a human. Like I could go ride my bicycle a hundred miles with whoever, and I could deal with some sprints and whatever else I won't get dropped. But then there's like that racing level. And it's just like that racing level is a big jump and it's hard. Yeah. And I, and it takes a certain amount of effort that you put in. And I never got to put that effort in, um, because we weren't going racing until October, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I felt like my body got all good and healthy and I was fit. I was in good shape. My race weight was back. Um, but I wasn't like, I never got to put that like high output that you like, you know, when the gate drops and you just throw down and you're like, it's just, yeah. you feel badass. I didn't get to do that. And I felt like that's what I lacked in, in Salt Lake. So Salt Lake, it was kind of like, I felt like I had more to give. I was more, more in shape. The bike was a little better. But then I still like you still feel like there was little there was a little meat on the bone that you weren't able to get after, yeah. you know. So um and then of course no fans and stuff. But like I'm going back and forth, but like I feel like the beginning of the season I was hurt and I said, This is it. I'm going out and I wanna I wanna say give my appreciation and I gave my everything to the fans to the point where I like I was exhausted by the races, you know, I signed more autographs than I'd ever signed. I, I stood up at the side of the tent more than I ever have. I cared less about the lap time than I ever had. I cared because it, the lap time wasn't there because I didn't feel good. I was hurt. I wasn't in great shape. So all these kinds of things, and I'm like, you know what? Screw that. The racing is what it is. As long as I make the main event somehow, I'll be fine. 
um you know but the fans i really want to give my appreciation and then when we came back and there was no fans it gave me the opportunity i experienced a lot maybe i didn't get to sign off on it and say thank you to every stadium but i really felt good about what i got to do and and the appreciation that they showed and then i felt like my appreciation back to them i showed um salt lake gave me that opportunity where we had a blacked out tent you know there was nobody in the pits and it was just me ellie ben and dan and we just like it kind of like i got to go and have fun on my motorcycle Hmm. i wasn't getting pulled here and here i didn't have to think about this and that yeah um it was back to looking at the lap time and trying to dissect how can i go faster and do better things and and though the result wasn't great and i don't think it was anything to call home about but it was it got better race by race and i finished in the top 10 in the last race um but it was like i really got to experience something in a different way so for me i feel fully complete like i actually do um i do have some rumblings of like (laughs) it'd be cool to come back and do one but I don't know that I have it in me to come back because I do. I feel okay. Like I actually feel completely at ease of who I am and what I achieved. And I think that when you get to that point, it's hard because now there's, you know, what is, what's the motivation? Because I was always motivated by just being good and being competitive and proving people wrong or me right, however way you want to do it. And like, I don't necessarily have that burning desire. Um, so I'll check back in in January and tell you if I had that same burning <laughs> desire but because everybody wants to know, okay, what now? Like, do you, you know, do you feel anything? And I, I honestly don't because for the past seven or eight years, I have not raced motocross. So May through September is my time where I get to spend it with my family. We get to go on the boat and we could do, I don't think I don't ride motorcycles. Like I've rode my motorcycle once since June and I don't miss it right this second. Yeah. But when the weather's starting to cool and I'm like, Hmm, be fun to go. Ride supercross, <laughs> you know? And so I think that that November through January block of that training that you do, that's when it gets real for me. I think is when I'm like, okay, now I miss it because I know that that's, that's my go time and now isn't, and you know, monster cups already canceled. So that's not even on your mind of like, Oh, potentially I could do monster cup. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel normal, but I, I, at some point it's, it's a given that I'm going to be like, Oh, I miss it. You yeah. Know? Oh, and for sure. when I miss it, I want to feel like, do I just miss it? And I'm like bummed that I can't race or do I miss it? And I'm motivated to want to get back in shape yeah. and go race a race. It's and, different. And honestly, too. and honestly, if I have the motivation and I have that desire to want to go race a race, I, I'll, I'll race a race. You yeah. know, yeah. like I'm not scared to put the work and effort and to do it, you know, like I'll do it. Um, but at this point I don't have the burning desire to get back out there and do it. Yeah. Is there anything you're looking at? I know obviously you've been into the cars, you've been working with Lamborghini on some of that series, doing a lot of the iRacing stuff right now. Is that something you still want to hope to get into, car racing? Yeah, I want to go car racing. Um, it just right now, like, it's a very heavily driver, dri- you know, driver-funded uh, thing. And for me, going and dealing with the restrictions that the world has and the social distancing and the mask and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Like for me, you you go spend money on doing something that's fun because you want to go have fun, you know, 
And for me, going and doing all that, you're sucking all the fun out of it. Right. So why do it? Yeah. So for 2020, I'm stepping away. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Um, and honestly, it's opened the door. My kids love BMX. We're fully committed to that at this point. Um, so who knows? You know, like at some point, and like I said on the TV at, at Vegas, it's time to go be a dad. You know, like I actually want to be a dad. I think it's something that I massively admire of being a dad and being a parent and what my family did, you know, my family and I don't necessarily talk. I don't necessarily agree with everything they do, but I love them to death. And what they did for me as a child is unbelievable. And the commitment that they have, like just the 12 weeks that I've been going BMX riding and the training and the riding and the repetitiveness of that, it's, you know, to think of my dad getting up and concreting and doing one of the worst jobs in the world and then still taking me riding and doing those things all weekend and then, you know, getting home at all hours of Sunday night and then getting up at 5 a.m. and going and doing this normal Friday to, or, you know, should I say Monday to Friday job. I have nothing but respect for my dad and my family. Um, it's what happened at a later, you know, stage in my life that I hate what they did, but, um, as a family, like I want to be as committed to my kids as what my parents were to me. And that's, I think that you can only give them the tools, you know, yeah. what they choose to do with it is what they choose to do with it. Yeah. Um, but definitely I always want to be a good dad. And if this is the next thing for me, um, I will say that we did our first national a couple of weeks ago. And I will say that taking your kids down, I've experienced a lot in life as far as the wins, the highs, the championships. I will put that taking your kids down, putting them in the chute and walking away and saying, Hey, go get them. The emotion and the lump that you had in my throat was, was far greater than anything that I personally have ever achieved. And so for me, it shows you that there's something, there's more to life than just your own shit that you've done. Mm. And though that that's, you know, shaped me and it's made me who I am today, but like, it kind of gave me hope that like, I don't necessarily have to go drive a car next year, you know, or go race a super crush race. Like yeah. what I got out of seeing my kids at their first national ever in the novice class, making the main events was, was really cool. You know, yeah. and I, I never expected that, you know, like I kind of was like, I don't know, like, but I walked away and it got me like I was like I had those good feels and I was like, come on, man, like get it. And it's like so that that's my commitment right now is is to my kids. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I have many business things that I that I'm working on and and things like that. But those things just pay the bills. You know, they pay the bills. You know, I have huge aspirations. I want a plane. I want a beach house. You know, those things are big business things, multi, multi-million dollar, you know, things. And that's all in the, the works. That's all in the plan. But right now, Monday through Friday and on the weekends, I want to spend it with my kids, you yeah. know, seeing what they want to do with life. You know? Well, I think a big part of being a good husband and being a good dad is you've got to get rid of the selfish nature that as racers, we all have. Because for our whole careers, it's about me. No, yeah. I got to do this. This is what I'm doing. I need, you know what I mean? They revolve around us. Yeah. And, and once that stops and you go, okay, you know, let's, it's about you guys now. Yeah. Like you and said, I, that, that for me, fulfillment's like, there. Huge kudos to Ellie. You know, I think that through, through all, let, let's say the last five years where it's really been at any point, you could have walked away and you were fine. Right. Um, and the fact that she was fully committed and allowed and created that space for me to be selfish and go and chase the dream 
um, it's really awesome now to be chasing a different dream, but together yeah. as always, and then like doing it with the kids. It's it so that that's been fun. I think she's enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and it's just yeah, we'll see what comes of it. It's the next chapter in life. Yeah, the next chapter. That's, yeah, that's badass. Well, that's I'm, another three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to book some more time for that one. Um, yeah. I'm pulling for you on the car thing, just because I've never seen anybody make a really successful jump. You know, from motocross. yeah. I mean, other than other than Wardy, Wardy was obviously pretty successful at it, but it's been challenging. You know, other than that. Um, but even can you know the money? It's like you said, you've got to bring the money as a driver. It's not you have like to bring your the money as a driver, and you know. So we'll see. Lamborghini has been really cool. Um, you know, the conversations there are ongoing. Um, I've been working with some other manufacturers, so I'm hopeful that we can figure something out. You know, where I do get to go play in a race car, um, but but we'll see. Yeah. You know, like it, it's you, as a 38 year old, 39 next year. Like you're not high on the list of like. We need this yeah. guy in a car, yeah. you know, but the difference is, is that world, you know, that you're dealing with businessmen, you know, always like you're actually dealing with high quality business people. And so they see a benefit to certain things that, that you can bring to the table, you know, um, opposed to like a 16 year old kid that, that may or may not make it in the world, yeah. um, you know, in the driving world. So we'll see, we'll see what happens I, at this point. Like I said, I feel the best thing is, is I feel okay with however it works yeah. out. Like whatever is supposed to work out and however it's supposed to be is how it's going to be. Yeah. And I just, I'm excited that, you know, that I, the passion that I see in my kids and how much they love BMX, it just brings back a lot of cool memories for me and being at the track and everything like that. Racing, in my opinion, racing teaches people something that, the world cannot teach you for sure. Um, I think it prepares you for the world in a way that other sports can't. Um, so for my three children to be, you know, loving and enjoying racing, even the ups and downs that we've encountered in the 12 weeks that we've been doing this, I already see a difference in how they encounter life and how they take on different things. Um, so I'm just happy that we're experiencing that, you know, yeah. I don't care if it's two wheels, four wheels, dirt, road you know yeah bmx no engine engine you know like whatever racing in my opinion is something that all humans should encounter i agree let yeah. me ask you this i know v8 supercars you, you've talked about how you really followed that and like that if you got an opportunity to go back to australia and do that would you do it uh, it wouldn't happen it's the, the rules are so challenging oh. um the restrictions on testing and all those things if they're such a unique car um, you, you'd, you'd have to be in the car all the time to make a real shot at it. You know, mm -hmm. jumping in a GT3 car that has ABS brakes, um, you know, traction control and all these kinds of things. These are things that you can overcome, you know, and narrow the learning experience down. Um, when you start jumping into a big, heavy under brake, under arrow, under tire, car that is just a unique beast to drive some of the best drivers in the world jump in this thing and they look average um you know you, it's it's not something that i don't have a burning driving it's a blast but actually going and doing it you you just the, the learning curve i think would be too gnarly too and, and i don't have a desire for that at this point in my life so 
I, I want to get you out the door. I know you guys are waiting to go BMX. And, um, so first of all, I want to say thanks for all your time, man. I know it's taken three three runs <laughs> to get through this, but you just had so much shit to say. And it's been awesome listening to it. Kind of a last question we asked everybody is, how do you want to be remembered by people of this sport? Yeah, man, I've been asked that question so many times, like with this. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I'm a believer that you don't get to, you don't get to claim what you want to be remembered as. I feel like that you you earn that. So, however people remember me, good, bad, ugly, brave, not brave, pussy, not pussy, like whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. You know, like I, I, and maybe when you're younger in your career. You kind of like you leave it with the chip on your shoulder sometimes i think you know like you still think i feel completely at ease of what i got to achieve you know did i achieve everything i wanted no but am i happy you know with the numbers that i leave behind i, I actually feel quite good and, and okay with who i am and what i achieved and, and the way i did it um i would say i, I don't care what people remember me as or what they claim for me what makes me proud of, of of my career is i always did it my way um i left australia with no blessing of my family of how i was going to do it and from the second i made a decision to take off overseas and take on my dream it was an uphill battle you know with no support from your family um to going and achieving living in europe is challenging and it was a blast it was something that made me a better person uh i got second in the 250 world championship on my first year i came here i won six of seven races in the lights class i won you know the most races in my rookie series and on a 252 stroke i won the very next year i had more starts than anyone i don't have the wins that i wanted i don't have the titles that i wanted but shit that's life you know but I have the experience and the ups and the downs that made me who I am. Um, and through it all, I really did it my way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I had an agent the whole time, and most of the time I disagreed and I just did it my way, and he hated it. But I really did, like, I gave it thought. I made decisions that were best for me right then and right there. Um, I didn't think about two years down the line, oh, if I stay here, then this manufacturer will have my back and I'll be a lifer. It didn't matter about that. I wanted to win, and I wanted to win then and there, and whatever I had to do to win in there or put myself in a position to compete at that level, I made those decisions. Um, that That's what makes me proud of what I achieved, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I didn't... I wasn't spoon-fed. I didn't do it, you know? I didn't get it all handed to yeah. me. Um, when people saw me complaining and, you know, being not happy at a place, then I created my own place and my own happy, um, with my own money and nobody can take that from you. You know, that's yeah. at the end of the day, I, I feel good about it. Um, and yeah, and I, I love the sport, you know, like I'm leaving the sport, um, that I love and I'm excited to see who, and what happens next um and may i may or may not be a big part of that who knows yeah. <laughs> so, well, time will tell i can just say whether or not you come back and race you know i don't i don't think it matters in terms of your legacy but i hope that you find something to do in the sport again something that yeah, you love, and i want to do that you know? and there's conversations that will likely see me within sport next year um 
we'll see. You know, like I, I, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, like I feel complete. I feel excited to, uh, I want to be a, if I was to do something, it's not like you just want to come in. Like I always want to be a part of the puzzle. Yeah. How can I help somebody be a part of something great? You know, how can I can contribute to a team or a rider or series? Um, how can you contribute to actually making it better as a whole? Um, not just selfishly coming in and, you know, wanting to do this, this, and this. It's just like, that's, that's my biggest goal is to, you know, make something a little bit more complete and be a piece of the puzzle. That's awesome. Well, I hope you find it. And, uh, like I, if we're, if you're not going to say what you want people to remember by, I'm just going to tell you, I think you're one of the grittiest, most headstrong dudes I've ever seen in this sport. And it's been super fun to watch your career, man. So, uh, congrats. Uh, just thank you so much for coming on. Glad to see you're at least healthy at this point. That's the first prize and, uh, you have options. So it'll be exciting to see what the future brings. Yeah, it is. Be, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys have been retired for a while now. There's, there's plenty of life after racing. So, <laughs> for sure. It's a lot. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, racing's always fun and it's always hard to walk away from. But I think that, uh, you know, in my case, I, I, I wrung it dry. <laughs> yes, I wrote it. I wrote it to the end, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. You, I loved it, and, and it's it's time to it's time to do something different. You, you, know? you ran it out of gas and laid it down out in the field by yeah. your house in Australia. Yeah, walked yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was just mic drop at that point. Yep. You know, two hundred and sixty five races. Good luck, people. Yeah. Get after it. <laughs> that's crazy. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Well, thanks so, so thanks, much guys. again, Reedy. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon, man. Hey, thank you. Right. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers, bud. Later, boys. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam C. and Cirillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced, and after talking to him, he's, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, head over to PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for a chance to win a free unit or get 20% off your next purchase. That's PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. Nihiloconcepts.com. Let's do this.
myself It's me against myself I'm starting to back out, yeah I'm staring at the stars I'm running from myself I'm running from myself I'm starting to black out, yeah I'm staring at the stars Welcome back, everybody. Uh, that was our third and final episode, Chad Reed, and um, it took us a long time to get all three of those done, but uh, some logistical challenges. This kid's had nationals going on with BMX. We've all got jobs and different things going on, so it took a while to get through all three of those, but man, what a story. Well, I think what it is with Chad is, you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes, you know, they can tell you this story about, you know, I went through the amateur ranks and I, I raced pro and I won these events. Um, he's one of those unique characters that's been around the world, did GPs, came here, had his own team, went to another factory team, kind of did his own thing. I mean, it, he really has, when you look at it, like he said, he did it his way. Yeah. I think that's probably a good way to describe it. Um, but just, he, he's been involved in, in so much, whether, like he said, it's trying to get outside industry sponsors to be in the sport, not just for a short period of time, but maybe long term, you know, then you realize there's politics, you realize there's a whole nother side from being on the other side of the fence. Um, I think Chad will be one of the first to admit that in the beginning, he may not have been the greatest with fans. Um, maybe not spending the time that he, he needed to. He was a Vegemite-eating <laughs> asshole, remember? Exactly. <laughs> and, um, but I think with anything, you know, like we always said, you're so self-indulged in what you got to do and then yeah. You, you become a team owner and you go, oh, it's about the fans, it's about the sponsors, about all these other things. So I just think his story is pretty unique and interesting and one of the reasons it took three, super, three attempts. Super, well, intel super intelligent too. You I mean, you see how much he thinks about everything. He's very contemplative. Yeah. Yeah, every, every single move he makes is strategic. He's thought it out. You know what I mean? And, it's and he reflects back on that was good, that was bad. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah he'll be the first that to say that, yeah. was a, that was a real screw up on that, that one. But, hey, you know, you've got to make your yeah. own mistakes at some point. I, I just really, there was a couple of things I took away out of this show. One is, it, it's frustrating to me when he comes on and says, we have these limiting factors in our sport and I don't know that we'll ever get past them. And I think, wow, that's a bummer. You know what I mean? And this is a guy, you're not going to know. He's seen it from all angles, He's seen too. it from inside of, you know, the yeah. ugly guts of this thing. And so, God, you just hope that, that promoters are listening and they take some of that to heart and go, well, okay, maybe if we did give up a little, we could grow more and, and have a, a net bigger. Be a team. Because I feel that's the problem is when you got money companies with money, I'm just going to use a Red Bull or a Monster. You don't think that every single race team on every, in every country is not hitting those guys yeah. up. Right. You can only suck up so much. And, and, and even if they do have the money, it doesn't make sense for them to sponsor everyone. You know, I think some of this, I'm going to say some, something crazy. I don't think it's always out of greed either. I think it's out of fear of letting go control and letting go of these there things. There is something to be said that about that. They're like, well, if I let go of this now, how's this going to affect us later? Uh. You know, and, and control-wise, we give more control to somebody, they steer their destiny, yeah. destiny a little more uh. than, you know, these promoters and other people can't. It's like I said, they're squeezing the puppy too tight. Yeah, it's they, a great they, analogy. They're going to kill it. Because so, yeah. you squeeze my puppy, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about your dog, right? Yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, just Look checking. at her. She's over there. She's sleeping. Snoring. Be, yeah, she snores. Um, I, I do hope that Chad comes back in some capacity 
because he he has such a well-rounded view of the sport. He knows how things he, work. He can bring value to the sport. He's such a huge fan favorite now worldwide. You know what I mean? He's sure. a, he's a global. If if he wanted to be, we didn't even talk much about basically promoting oh, Ossex, races in, I know. in I Australia and things like that. So he's had his finger in a bunch of these We can't do another six-hour show, GL. Uh, we can do a post-retirement uh, show yeah. in a couple of years. He just has so much information that it's hard to, you know, dial all of it down to to what he's done. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Well, anyway, I hope he's back. Um, He'll be. What I, an incredible career. It's... If there's one thing he could he could probably tell you, I'm a little burnt out. I'm tired of the politics. This blah 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 blah. Like you said, this little window, a couple of months, gives him time to reflect yeah. on that, and all of a sudden it's like he's involved in armor. You know, that's heavily involved in the yeah, in the true. sport, which will probably get more involved. He's got ties in whether it's Boost Mobile or these. He's got you know when you just know someone's got an, enough in uh, enough uh, fingers in different pies that. One one of those or a couple of those are going to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that will lead to that, which will lead to that. Yeah. So, I got a feeling we'll see him around. And a guy bit. on his level, though, you know, he, he's done everything in the sport you can do. I mean, just about. And what he's saying is super accurate. You don't want to come in like at a mid-level type of a situation where he, he wants. Well, he to wants be in to there. come in and do something profound. profound he, he doesn't yeah. want to just yep. you know prep goggles for guys or <laughs> you know he's really? not doing that. That's fun, man. He, I, the I one love thing. It. That disappointed me was I was kind of alluding. I didn't even say the word union, but the sport needs a figure that all of the teams believe in and trust. That would, if you know, shake his hand and give him their word that they would all be a team. Somebody would and always sideline that, though. Dude, you're farting against thunder on yeah, that one. It's just you're. <laughs> You're just wasting your fucking time. If GL's aunt yeah. was his uncle, yeah. she'd have balls. Yeah. I'm not even a huge union guy. It doesn't have to be a union. Just somebody that can speak for the teams and riders. You're in a union. I understand that I am, but I'm not a huge union guy. <laughs> they're they're, they're good in, in small yeah. spaces. But yeah. I'm just saying, right now, the promoters, like he said, Felt makes the rules in Supergrass. Yeah. AMA, okay. Oh, we know all that. Here's the flags. You just wave those, but we're going to tell you what's going on. Yeah. And they do the same with the riders. At the end of the day, it's at their discretion. If they want to just eliminate the purse, they could do it. It's sad, like, hearing what Kerry Hart was saying and then, like, not showing sponsors and realizing, you know, going back to it, it's like, this is the limiting factors. And they're limiting it for themselves. They don't even realize it. Even a ticker across the bottom for the podium seat. If you wanted to go up tight, if they said, okay, we're, we're trying to get the emotion on your face and capture it, okay. Then give us a band across the bottom with this rider's sponsors scrolling across. Listen, they do it in Formula One. Yeah. You have a block of sponsors over the rider next to them. I mean, there's a lot of single shots. You could have the sponsors above the rider when yeah. they're going by. You would be able to see them easily. Yeah. You know, they do it in graphics all the time. And it would actually, it would help, like if, you're if saying, you a NASCAR. Be, if, if, if you really, really, if they wanted to do that, there's, there's, there's actually several ways. That easily we could to do it. Yeah. Make it better. Uh, so, like I said, he is the perfect guy to go push yeah. that, push those kind of changes. And if he's saying, "Not me," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. he's been around the block right. enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, awesome show. It was. So before we uh, head on out of here, we got to thank some people. Um, Yamaha, obviously, for what they do. And if you're interested, the new 2021 YZ250Fs that now have the app. Uh, all the upgrades and um, they've got the uh, like the 450 where you can do the Wi-Fi it's pretty neat 
if you go look at it, one of the features I really love is you can set up all these different parameters. It can tell you when your oil needs changing. It can tell you mm. a lot of information. All you have to do is go and click in and it, it'll remind you where you rode. If you want to change some stuff, it knows what you've done. You can go back and go, oh, it's like having a, an assistant yeah. or a mechanic for your bike. It, does, it, it won't work on your bike for you, but it'll tell you when you need to get it done. Yeah, you can plug uh, suspension settings, like all your settings into the notes so that for a particular track. You can design a map and text it to your buddy, and he can enter it into his bike. Yeah. So y Yamaha has all kinds of stuff if you're buying. Um, they've got off-road and um, uh, street side or adventure side. You can uh, go do a Yamaha demo day. Yep. So if you before you ride one, you days. can go try it. There's in your area. They they bring them all over the country. Um, they've got all the GYTR parts book. Um, Yamalube if you're looking for oils. They've got the uh, you yep. know the mapping where you can plug in there. And Travis Preston and those guys always put together some really good maps. There's a new one out for the 450. They call it the Magic Map. So if you go onto Yamaha's website, you can look at that. It's too fast for me. No, the, the magic map's mellow. Uh, um, well, the I last actually, one he did, I was like, dude. TP1 or If TP2, I was yeah. racing, this thing is great, but it's <laughs> ripping my arms out That's of the That's why socket. I went with this other one. It's just very <laughs> linear and mellow. So anyway, I would recommend that. But Yamaha has all kinds of really cool programs. And the Blue Crew, if you're going to amateur, if you're actually yeah. competitively amateur racing, uh, they've got There's staff there to help with broken parts and support. So uh, Yamaha's got a really well-rounded yeah. program going on even 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 things like their own finance company now so mm. you get your yamaha card and it makes life a lot easier anyway check them out they've always got new products coming out and yamaha just the leader in the power sport industry power dot um ping alluded to it earlier that it does a lot pretty cool device small you can take it you can actually fit in your pocket your front pocket uh it does a lot of things um from recovery to just a nice massage to relax, get that tension out of your neck. Go to their website, enter Whiskey Throttle, uh, get 20% off, no spaces, just one word, no caps. Same thing with Method Race Wheels, the lightest, fastest, strongest wheels around. I actually was just covering a Lucas Oil Best in the Desert event, and guess who dominated in the trucks and buggies? Method, you guessed it, <coughs> just dominating out there. Troy Lee Designs, always coming out with new great stuff. Um, I know we had a really killer year with uh, TLD from the swag, their licensed stuff with Yamaha, Honda, KTM. I mean, they just make so much cool stuff for on the on the track as well as just around the pits, whether it's mm -hmm. umbrellas or, like I said, you go and look, you're like, man, they make a lot of cool stuff. They also have a bunch of a full line of Yamaha licensed gear, yep. so riding gear, t-shirts. Their team wear stuff, their, 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 their TLD, KTM race team stuff is pretty cool. It's a very hot seller, so always got cool stuff there. Soon to be TLD Can-Am. Yeah. Or uh, Gas Gas, not Can-Am. Can <laughs> Hey, you never know. Yeah, well. <laughs> Maybe the off-road team. KTM will buy that, too. Um, SKDA, uh, they're going to have a ping graphic. I'm excited to see yeah. that one. Yeah, ooh, it's going to look good. You know, I took it off a Formula One car. Oh, really? I said, this is a li livery I like. Let's let's build Massages. something around this. Yeah, yeah. It's going to look good. Well, they have a GL graphic, and call me biased, but I think it's off the charts. <laughs> so check that one out. It's really neat. Uh, Dunlop, they just make the best tires, period. Uh, Ping's... Talks about his combo at the races. You heard, um, especially at Redbud, you, you saw a lot of the teams and riders going between the scoop and the intermediate. They really do have <coughs> tires for all kinds of conditions. And then, of course, your happy medium. So if you're someone that really, really wants to you know, push the envelope, try a hard pack tire at a hard track and then switch it out to a soft tire at a softer track, you'll see the performance difference. 
if you someone like me that's just too lazy to do that, get the <laughs> nice happy medium. They really are good, the intermediates. Adidas, don't be a dick to your feet. Put some good shoes on there. And if you're like any of us retired folk who are a little stiff and sore, you can't wear these kids' skater shoes and all these other brands. So put something good on. Pro Circuit, they race, they win. They're uh, having a good season. In fact, Adam Cincerella, still a Pro Circuit rider. Got his first one of the season. Congrats to him. Nahila Concepts, always coming out with new, cool, innovative stuff. This company is always just finding these little niches in our industry, that, and they find a way to make it just bigger, better, and cooler. And into Whiskey Throttle, you'll get a gift. I don't know what it is, but I heard it's pretty cool. Seat Concepts, most comfortable seat. Don't be a dick to your ass. Make sure you put your, <laughs> your ass in something comfortable. And they do really have everything that you could ever want. It's like the lazy boy for your dirt bike, or your street bike, or your snowmobile, your side by side, whatever. They've got something. Uh, Fire Department Coffee. Copy? Fire Department Coffee. Uh, they just make good stuff. Uh, it really is, I mean, as Ping said, we all drink coffee. Support the people that support the industry. Um, it was uh, built by firefighters. They help out firefighters. And obviously with Ping's connection, they've now gotten involved in Moto. So the more coffee you buy using the, the code Whiskey Throttle, like I do, the more they go, huh, Moto's a place to be. So support those guys. They do a lot of cool stuff. And then, like I said, the coffee is fantastic. Specialized. They're getting bikes back in stock after this whole COVID situation. They sold everything they ever had. No surprise there. Everyone went to go buy Specialized, but they're getting back in stock. They've got new models. They've had some price reductions on certain models, so check it out. Really cool stuff. OGO, the best bag. It's been the only bag in the industry, really. Uh, since I moved here, that's all I've ever used, It's and there's no reason to change. And, of course, they're fully invested in our sport. And then Paleo Ranch Foods, make some good tasty stuff right there, and Langston Motorsports, where you can pretty much get almost everything I just mentioned anyway. Um, go check them out, and that's our show. That's it. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for uh, sitting through this many hours <laughs> of, uh, of uh, Chad Reed, but we've got some cool shows coming up, um, and we'll try not to have the big lags between. We just didn't want to put other shows in between Chad's series, so uh, we kind of waited for him, but... We're going to grab a gear and hit, hit the throttle, and uh, we've got some great shows queued up. So uh, stay tuned. Thank you guys for watching. See you in the next show.